what the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example. It's you who are changed, yeah, and of yeah. course this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had, um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal, in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, the the uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Today, May 24th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Had a huge show planned for today. Just about every topic you could possibly imagine and unfortunately don't have enough time to get that out today. I'll actually show you the tabs, but today I'm going to focus on on one main topic really that I really wanted to flesh out in regard to the aerosolized version of seemingly everything we're talking about. Of course, that could mean the injection that could mean, you know, bioweapon payload delivery systems, because we're talking about the same thing. It's all just how you just, how you use the technology. That's what the military calls dual use, assuming there's only two uses, but the point being that, I mean, gene editing, really, but the idea of what they've discussed throughout this process, the 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 injection in general or the idea of, of the the self-spreading vaccine concept or any of these things we've talked about. They're all dual use gain of function research. Everything they're doing in these labs, just as anybody honest has been telling you, is considered dual use because, of course, it could be weaponized. That's not to mean that you know for sure that it is or that they could or they will. Rather, they could, of course, but whether they will, you don't know that. But that just because they don't intend to does not then make it no longer dual use. This absurd kind of like moral ploy the U.S. government loves to, to spin. And he's like, well, we would, how dare you, clutching their pearls. We'll never, we would never do something like that. Well, that's irrelevant, even though you have and you would. It's irrelevant because it can be used that way. And that's important to understand for what we're going to talk about today. Because this is a really alarming, rather revelation. I was going to say step. Because it's not a step, it's already been done. And it, I argue it's already been used. I'll even show you research going back to 2019, 2020, already talking about the aerosolization of mRNA, mRNA delivering nanoparticles. And it just makes you kind of, just thinking that that could have been discussed at that time, bringing that up in 2020, 2019, you would have been laughed out of town. You're crazy, that's ridiculous, that's not happening. Of course, if you would have brought up exactly what they did, you would have also been called crazy. So that's not very convincing when you realize that there's so many people willing to push back on just about anything 
that they're afraid of that they don't think is happening or that they were told you're not supposed to think about. But we're going to talk specifically about the idea of the aerosolization or rather just the inhalable version, which is the same thing, of genetic material or rather specifically mRNA instruction and what that can be used for, how that can be delivered and the different ways it can be applied. And they know this. But we're going to get into a couple of other important things around this, the, the risks involved with all the different discussions, some new revelations around the overall risk of the earlier versions of this, the injection. That's important to see it as the same concept because it can be used both ways and to see the overlaps of the same risk, the same exact discussions. The Now, even the overlap of the mod RNA conversation, the, the pegylation, the pegylization, uh, is that other term? I've never said it out loud. The, the term of using polyethylene glycol and using that with the nanoparticles to allow that to be less, more durable and whether that causes more problems or not. And how it, it, we'll get into it today and you can see what I'm talking about, how the same conversation applies and yet it's being used different ways. On one side, lipid nanoparticles are the success because, well, they're not as dangerous and they, you know, and, and on and on and on. We've had the whole conversation. But we're on this side of it, they're now saying, because we're in gene therapy land now, not talking about vaccination, even though it's the exact same concept, that, well, we're going to use the peg on this one in, entirely, the polymer-based nanoparticles, because it's going to make it last longer. Well, in this other conversation, you're saying that's why it was so dangerous. And, okay, well, they don't want you to think like that, because we're not talking about the same thing. Yes, they are. These are the same things. Now, I'm... I'm just about every topic you could imagine. I'm a huge focus on the transgender conversation, some really hard things to discuss that we're going to get into probably early tomorrow. I'm planning on getting up and just banging out this early show with all the stuff I already have ready. But I mean, just everything we were going to talk about Twitter and DeSantis and all sorts of different things. But, you know, as I'm joking said before, let's talk about important things instead. But let's start off with an article that Robert, uh, excuse me, that Derek just put up just a couple things I want to point out in the beginning here that I think are really important to overlap with this is just in, as well as other things that I probably won't get to that I want to mention. Derek put out a great article called Sam Oldman, artificial intelligence, the Bilderberg group and world coin. And we briefly mentioned this and it's really concerning. This, this weird thing they're offering people will give you free world coin. If you scan your iris and, and they swear they'll delete it afterward. Then why does that even make sense? That's actually the argument. The point is that as it's read here, it reads here, OpenAI, which is all about right now, the chat GPT and OpenAI and all this, all these, everything seems to be converging in the same direction. And it has nothing to do with what you want, what you think you're vote, voted for. OpenAI CEO Sam Altman recently testified in front of a U.S. Senate Judiciary Subcommittee regarding the recent rise of artificial intelligence and the potential for disruption for numerous industries. Now, the fake dynamic here is that one side says this needs to be regulated. The other side says, no, it needs to... Well, nothing in that conversation is, how about we just don't do it? <laughs> not even on the table, because that's it's not how this works. Now, you may think that's not even a choice, but of course it should be. Shouldn't we weigh this and decide whether it's even the right thing to do in general? But that's not the point. With the way this works, this is the two-party illusion in a specific topic, the dynamic, the way they use that. And they give you a false binary choice and let, make it look like that's everything that's happening. So what ends up happening is we're moving forward with artificial intelligence that's going to be di dictating and controlling our lives, but they'll regulate it. <laughs> sure. The problem here is that this is always about guiding us in the direction that they want us to go in and allowing us to think that we're making the choice. The concern on top of that illusion is what they get into here, the dangers of deep fakes and the, the disruption to industries. And of course, they already have the solutions in mind. 
which make that you should immediately think today, well, then did they create the problem to justify the solution? Doesn't mean it always is the case, but that's an easy, very, very basic concept that's always applied. And then, of course, realize that the whole deep fake thing seems to be kicking off immediately after they start pointing at it. A lot of this is controlled. Anyway, this is a great article to get into. You should read this. We're going to come back to it. He makes a reference to Bilderberg. Shout out to Truth, uh, Press for Truth that's been doing good work and covering that. But there's also interesting overlaps in the Bilderberg group and who was part of that and who was involved. It's interesting, but we're not going to get into that today. I also want to point out a great article that Matt Eric put up today that I just I just put up today. The Roots of Modern Eco-Terrorism from MKUltra and the Unabomber to Maurice Strong and Yuval Harari. Now, it's just it's just it never ceases to amaze me how <laughs> it just seems like so many people are just so intellectually insecure, like they can't just consider perspectives without flipping out about how this is contradictory to it. Now, I, you know, what? I thought about this earlier. And the reason that I think that people are so quick to get angry or, or upset or just emotional when something goes against what they think is the, is the reality is because I think there's an inherent assumption that that means they're choosing to be dishonest or that there's something about this that is surreptitious in the way that it's being done. And that's I've always consider that. Of course, that's possible. It's likely almost today. But to assume that, especially with some, you know, just in general, I find that very telling. Now, regardless, that does not mean that the point could be you could also be wrong. And this other person could be wrong. You could all be wrong. But what's interesting about this article that I find so very interesting and so important is that the first assumption here, okay, I think the things people push back on, and that's what I love about Matt's work, is that it's always so contentious with people that you wouldn't expect. People in our community that seem to get so outraged that something is being led in the wrong. It's, 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 I, I love it. I love ideas that disrupt the conversation. We're so comfortable in our left-right paradigm, you know, and as I've said many times, almost every article he's put out, I I talked with him about this today. There's something in there that I'm like, well, you know, I don't think I agree with that. I think I would probably conclude something differently, but the evidence he puts forward, the source material that you can read through for yourself is very clear. So if you simply think he concluded something incorrectly, then state that. But to argue that it's somehow wrong inherently is just, it's, it's opinion we're talking about here. Or if I'm wrong, tell me what you think. But what's interesting to me is this is really about, or what I was going to say too, is that the idea of Kaczynski, which is what we're talking about here, the Unabomber, and he even gets into like Timothy Leary and a lot of these conversations or the idea of psilocybin. And it's amazing the way that people will jump to conclusions on what these things are, what his ultimate meaning is behind a lot of this. You know, the idea that some people then think that, Kaczynski, for example, is, you know, a hero behind the scenes and the government framed him. And, you know, the, of course, you can read, which is linked in here, the, the whole manifesto about technology, which is very, very interestingly relevant today. But does that then mean by default that he was not the person that we should be like, is it not possible this was all used and he was set up or that it was the FBI's plan to get him to do this, to create a dynamic? I'm not saying I agree with that or believe that, but stand back and think about the dynamic. Because this is his whole point. If you actually made it down to the halfway point of the article without getting outraged and leaving because it contradicts what you think you what the point you think he's making is he he gets into how Kaczynski and Davos oligarchs are of one mind. And what he's ultimately getting into is the whole eco-terrorism, the the, the extinction rebellion and all these uh, environmental attacks. And how that's being a lot guided by people that believe in the stuff that Kaczynski wrote. And not to say that that means that they're in league, because those are kind of assumptions people make that think you mean. But what's interesting to me is that it's it's like the two-party paradigm, as always. And it's driving people 
to the same point while thinking that they're on different sides. At least that's the conclusion that he's coming to here. And I agree with that. But ultimately, these people are string pullers of the highest highest degree that are ultimately pulling, creating that left-right paradigm so we act like we're fighting each other instead of realizing that we're being played by one ultimate power. And the real point here is that all of this drives in the direction of creating the destabilization for either a depopulation, eugenic sort of Malthusian mindset or to destroy, to rebuild, however you want to look at it. But what's interesting more than that to me is that we've seen all of this. We've seen the Antifas and the Extinction Rebellions acting out in this eco-terrorism and how that has then been used to justify exactly what we're talking about. Even more so, think about the overlap of the concept of things like East Palestine. Was that sabotage? Was it deliberate? Was it meant to justify more action, infrastructure? Kind of all these, you can see how this might begin to overlap with a larger discussion. Now, I just find this fascinating. Whether you disagree with it or not, I think it's important to read this to consider what Matt's perspective is, as well as how other pieces might pull together. I just feel like even someone like me, for example, who is so, I'm very skeptical of everything two-party illusion, but I mean, I still grew up in a system and was taught perspectives that come from that. So even though I've grown past it, I'm still rooted in the same idea. And so you read things like this and you realize, wow, there's a very different perspective out there of a lot of different ways you could see this. And I think our two-party paradigm roots tend to block us from seeing bigger things. Now, all that being said, it doesn't mean that this is correct or that I'm right or he's right or whatever else. Just read it, be objective about it, because I think ultimately this is a very important article. And I think what it does is it draws a line between all of this. Getting into, And I'm actually going to start with a quote from Maurice Strong that opens up this conversation about how this could be engineered. It's very interesting. Now, this is one thing he points at in this. It's an old, uh, actually not that old, 1990, I think. It's like a magazine interview with Maurice Strong. And the guy's driving with him. And he asks, he basically asks him a question about something he's working on, I believe. And he basically says, let's start right here. Or where was it? Right here. Make sure I have the right spot. Yeah, okay. So, it says, each year... He explains, oh, I'll start right here, actually. He says, I leave the Baca with Strong, where he's strong, retracing our route of a week earlier. We pass by Lazy U Ranch, they're 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 driving together, and turn south on Highway 17. The desert slides by. Strong uh, Strong tells me he has often wished he could write. Actually, wait, I'm going to go back one second really quickly. Oh, just so you can understand who this person is. I believe that was, oh, makes you go to the earliest example of what he's writing here. Yeah, so basically he's saying the the Davos co-founder, Murray Strong. Now, I believe I had something written in there as well about who the ultimately, let me just give you his background so you know. I don't want to misspeak. I'm generally familiar, but you guys can understand who this person is. I'll just include this, I guess, if you guys want to read through in general, Wikipedia is the last place to look. But the point is, all of this, he, he, he's a person that ties back to all the same conversations, eugenics, uh, technocracy, the same kind of direction, and overall the idea of the same sort of, yeah, I guess, I mean, eugenics is the best way to look at it, the Malthusian kind of mindset. But is he, you can see he's also tied to World De- Davos, World Economic Forum, the you know World Wildlife Fund, and all the stuff we've talked about in the past. But the main point here is while just to give you some brief 
association while he's driving with this guy. He, he talks about a book that he wants to write. He says, the desert slides by. Strong tells me he's often wished he could write. He has a novel he'd like to do. It's something he's been thinking about for a decade. It would be a cautionary tale about the future. Each year, he explains as background to the telling of the novel's plot, the World Economic Forum, which he's a part of in real life, it says it convenes in Davos, Switzerland. Over a thousand CEOs, prime ministers, finance ministers, and leading academics gather in February to attend meetings and set... Well, oh, this zoom in for me. Come on, damn it. This thing's going to take me a hard time. Son of a gun. Everything's acting funny here. Go and continue. Okay. I wanted to zoom in. I'm having a hard time reading on my computer. It says, gather in February to attend the meetings and at the year end with this as a setting. He then says, quote, what if a small group of these world leaders were to conclude that the principal risk to the earth comes from the actions of the rich countries. See if I can zoom in here. That is crazy. I was literally zooming. Whatever. (laughs) Okay. Continuing to conclude that the principal risk of the earth comes from the actions of rich countries. And if the world is to survive, those rich countries would have to sign an agreement, reducing their impact on the environment. Sounds familiar, right? He says, will they do it? And realize he's talking about, you know, I mean, so the article goes or so the interview goes a hypothetical thing he wants to write about. But he says. Will they do it? And as they're driving, he takes he takes notes and he looks at me and the strong looks at him. Then his eyes go back to the Highway 17, the man who founded the United Nations Environment Program. That's Marie Strong and who wrote parts of the Brundtland report and who in 1992 will try to get the world's leaders meeting in Brazil to sign just such an agreement savers the question hanging in the air. Will they do it? Will the rich countries agree to reduce their impact on the environment? This is 1990. Will they agree to save the earth? Assuming that's what he means or what they're actually thinking about doing. Strong resumes his story. The group's conclusion is no. The rich countries won't do it. They won't change. So in order to save the planet, the group decides. Isn't the only hope for the planet That the industrialized civilizations collapse? Isn't it our responsibility to bring that about? He says, quote, this group of world leaders, he continues, form a secret society to bring about an economic collapse. It's February. They're all at Davos. They aren't terrorists. They're world leaders. They have positioned themselves in the world's commodity and stock markets. They've engineered using their access to stock exchanges and computers and gold supplies and panic. They've engineered a panic. Then they prevent the world's stock markets from closing. They jam the gears. They hire mercenaries who hold the rest of the world leaders of Davos as hostages. The markets can't close the rich countries. And Strong makes a slight motion with his fingers as if he were flicking a cigarette, but out the window. He says he sat there spellbound. This is not any storyteller talking. This is Maurice Strong. He knows these world leaders. He is, in fact, chair, co-chairman of the Council on the World Economic Forum. He sits at the fulcrum of power. He is, in, is, he is in a position to do it. It says, I probably shouldn't be saying things like this, he says. Highway 17 cuts straight across the desert, heading back to the land, out of the land of dreams, he says. When the truth is finally told, Maurice and Han Strong fear the world will come to this. No secret societies. 
No hostage taking at Davos, or so we know so, so far, but it will come to the same conclusion. The global economy, sapped by credit and debt loads and environment and debt loads and environmental disasters will simply come unstuck. And nothing, not even the inspiration of the Baca, can save humankind from itself. They see the struggles and problems at the Baca as reflections of the problems assaulting the planet. They fear the Baca will be, at best, an oasis in the desert to location of the future, and at worst, a place where dreams die. Wasn't that very interesting? Now, aside from the idea that he's talking about something he's writing, the point is he, as the author writes, he knows this stuff. Aside from the idea of a secret society, like that's somehow a fake concept, or the hostage-taking of the world leaders. What is he really pointing out? Something that he's aware of, that they're discussing what needs to be done. Now, is it really that far-fetched to ask ourselves whether they might actually create a panic to justify the De- the engineered collapse of societies deemed not valuable enough to, you know, save the planet. Now, I'm just throwing this out there because there's no way we could just go yes or no. The point, though, is that if you're not a- if you're afraid to ask that question with literally with everything we've seen, with everything we can prove right now, I don't think you want to know what's going on. I think ultimately we're at a position right now where it, it's it's you can decide for yourself to what degree it's very clearly some level of that, whether it is just a natural disaster and they're just tipping the scales or whether they've manufactured it entirely or whether they're lying about it. And there is no disaster. The point is clearly that they're involved with exactly what he's talking about, in my opinion. But I think you could prove that. But all of that aside, realize that you have powerful people like this, whether they're daydreaming or not, that have the ability to do that. And they talk about it. They theorize about it. They meet at Bilderberg and all the rest of the groups that we don't know about. And they talk about it. I just don't know why that's not exactly what we think it is. Now, on that that note, again, make sure you read this. I mean, really, this is such an interesting and well, this article is fantastic. Despite, despite whether you disagree with conclusions that are made, which, again, my point before, I don't know why people get so emotionally tied just be like, well, I disagree with him there <laughs> and move forward and take what you can from it. Like that just seems like it's so it seems so childish to me that people get so emotionally tied into these things. You know, like, again, I understand there's so many manipulators out there and maybe that's why I don't you maybe you're who knows. But unless, you know, it's kind of interesting to me that people get so emotionally tied. But overall, if you really go through this, you'll find that there's a much bigger point to all of this. The idea of the overlap of world government and, and, you know, as the MK Ultra program point, but really just psychological manipulation or actual control and how that leads to what we're dealing with today, potentially by actual control, but even more so just influence social engineering and how that all creates a situation where instead of attacking or rather just pointing out the real problem, we attack each other, which is exactly what happens when people read this article, right? It's just, it's interesting to me, but going forward on the same note, talking about exactly that, You know, to what degree have we seen this actually already happen? The engineered destruction of whether we're talking large civilizations or just, you know, the like interesting point to think about when he frames it like this. Right. So in let's just take this. Let's pretend this wasn't a hypothetical that they asked the countries, the rich countries, you know, the the ones making the biggest problem just by virtue of being the biggest countries. But again, assuming that the problem is carbon, it's not. 
operating within their narrative as always, you know, take a page from that. when We're talking about virus drain guys. I don't believe that, but we're still doing this to make a point. You see what I'm saying? The point, the point though is operating from within this, the argument being that that's what's hurting the planet. And they ask themselves, well, what do we do? Well, we have to stop us because we're the ones polluting the most. And they go, well, no, we're not going to do that. Okay. Well, pause there with the rest of the story. You can forget what happens there. What do you think in real life happens? Do you think they then go, well, we're going to collapse our own societies. <laughs> or do you think they then collectively decide and get to sit back as a, you know, some eugenic society and pick and decide who gets to stay and who doesn't? What societies are deemed the bad guy societies that don't have a right to be here or the one, you know, you see my point? Or that we just mathematically say, okay, well, if we just cut off 90% of the population, well, we can keep our big societies or rather our wealth and our control. You see my point? That's what makes more sense to me. So the point is you come back to this and realize, I think some of this has already taken place. Michael Singer points out a new paper in The Lancet, which you should already know this, by the way, but it's still important, shows that COVID lockdowns and mandates had no effect in reducing COVID death, but led to increased levels of violence, drug use, economic wreckage and inequality and death, by the way. That's also part of that. But it's Kevin Bass points out the paper shows that COVID restrictions did not reduce the deaths, but exacerbated, exacerbated epidemics, violence, drugs, alcohol, child suicide, all the stuff we've talked about. Okay, so you could look at that as a, you know, malfeasant mistake, right? They screwed up, did what they thought was right with limited information. Oh, yeah. Or this was an executed plan, knowing that, that we can prove they knew these things were dangerous. They knew that they would have the opposite effect, just like we're proving all this stuff right now. So well, then what happened? Was this designed to hurt people, to remove people from the world? C certainly possible. Look, I've been one of the one of the people that have generally not pushed back, but been more skeptical about the depopulation concept. But the more you dig into this, the more it begins to seem like a viable possibility, if not the most likely especially with eugenics and all this different stuff. But again, there's little points to, that I that I add that just end up making me go, well, maybe now, you know, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Just there's there's different points in this. Or, but as always, there's not just one group or one agenda. There's always multifaceted agendas within even the same groups. Here's another example of something that's happening right now. Taking this point from the idea of, you know, whether we're living through this false dynamic. And even then, like you think the people in, in, uh, extinction rebellion but no, know that they're co-opted some but not all you think everybody in Antifa or everybody in the Proud Boys or everybody in A's group you think they all know it's possible but most likely not so my point is you have all these groups out there that are charged up with all their political nonsense two party illusion nonsense and are acting out being led by an FBI agent probably but the point is that ultimately we see this playing out on all sides, by the way, I would actually argue that it seems the right is far less willing to take the bait. But at the same time, you do see clearly that it's all happening on all these different sides. And now we're seeing stuff like this. 30 tons of explosive chemicals. We actually pointed this out recently. Unaccounted for. <laughs> what? After going missing in April? What do you mean missing? They literally argue it might have just fallen off the train. Like, are we, we are not this stupid. This, this is two days ago. Independent. But I think that actually event happened more than two days ago. I forget what it was. But they're saying around 60,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate. We all know what ammonium nitrate is. I mean, what, whether you know what it can do in, a, in an environmental sense, everybody knows that's so bomb stuff. Why? Because the media tells you that. There's a reason for that. The point, though, is that ultimately it just disappeared. I guess we'll find out when something happens, right? 
I don't buy that. I don't believe th this feels very suspicious to me. Here's another example of something that's being staged, in my opinion. As Doom points out, why would they announce this? Feels weird. They say, well, just in, 50 U.S. senators have been issued satellite phones for emergency communication. That's very strange. By the way, there's, I see, there's a lot of conversation around this that seems to be misinterpreting this as only Democrats apparently got this. I just, the two-party illusion, man. It's always breaking on, honest people fall for this. I mean, I've fallen for it before as well. Now, again, I could be wrong. You tell me if I'm missing something, but as far as I can tell, here's Washington Times. So it's a right-leaning platform that's saying that more than 50, so it's not just 50, first of all, more than 50 senators accepted satellite phones for emergency communications as part of a growing effort to beef up security after January 6th. Sure. But it says the phones were actually offered to all senators. So left and right, but it says at least half accepted. I don't know if that means that only left people accepted it or if it's mixed and we're just, I, I don't even know, but the bottom line is they're claiming it was offered to everybody. So it's interesting that this is being as tip, typically done in the two party illusion being, you know, misinterpreted or mispresented or, you know, even by people that don't mean to, but the point is ultimately that this is more about getting us to go, Oh, okay, well, there's something happening or, you know, create a partisan narrative about it. That's misinforming people. And so that happens the same way, but ultimately Right afterward, guess what? So this this is the 22nd, two days later. Chinese state-sponsored hackers compromise critical U.S. infrastructure. Sure. I mean, I wouldn't surprise me. I don't. I, I have no way suggesting China wouldn't do that or is not capable. But I just don't know why. It's just it, this is where we are right now, and it's not just me. It even people that are involved in the two-party paradigm, they're just playing team smart politics. I, I, we're all pretty aware that these are liars. These are career liars that are actively and have been caught repeatedly in a very short period of time, just blatantly lying to us. And the only reason that that's that's not unique. We just happen to have caught them a lot recently. Just hope you understand that. But what's interesting is that people just are, you know, that's probably not true. But we've been screamed at about the cyber pandemic, the poly cyber polygon and all these different narratives. And. I honestly don't explain to me why it would make sense for China to even do this. Again, I'm not dismissing that at all. I mean, I, it, it's about a 50 50 coin flip for me, just as likely it would be, or Russia or anybody else. They're all doing this, but to do it to a degree that they would like, okay, if China was doing this to undermine the critical infrastructure, when I say they're all doing this, I mean, they're all spying and doing stuff on cyber net, cyber manipulation, but to hack to try to bring it down, I just, why would either one of them want to do that right now? I just doesn't, there's, there's gotta, to me, I, it doesn't mean there has to be, but I, I personally need to find some kind of a logical motive here. Is it just to hurt them? Well, sure. That's it. That seems like far more of a U.S. minded, government minded concept. We've seen that done a lot. Does not to say they're not capable of it. Anyway, the point is then, and Microsoft says, I just don't buy this personally. Not that, again, it's not happening, but in this moment, the way they're framing it right after their many different arguments, something seems very, very suspicious at the very least. And then, of course, we add that to this absurdity. Hey, everybody, I think the FDA is telling us they're going to shut off the Internet soon. This, the same day, the same day that they give people in Congress satellite phones, they F the, the FDA, and ask yourself why that even makes sense, releases this. Are you prepared? The internet is going down later this week. It's going to be crazy. Find out more below. The internet is going down later this week. The internet is going down. 
The real truth the government refuses to tell you. Previous account banned for sharing the truth. Wait a minute. This is misinformation. You may be spreading misinformation unintentionally. Confirm the credibility of a source before contributing to the conversation. To see how FDA is addressing misinformation, check out our rumor control webpage. That's the FDA. I just don't even understand why people think that would make sense. Like why in the world the FDA is even involved with something like that. But really the point for me, the video itself was meant to just be like a mock-up, right? Oops, that was something from, from a different part. I was trying to find, I thought I had, uh, I do have some misinformation stuff that I was going to get to, but not today. If I Let me just do this really quickly so I can just point at it. No, you know what? I'll let it go. I'm going to get into it tomorrow. So you guys have seen that recent BBC ridiculousness. If I if I get into it, it's going to take another 30 minutes to go over it all. But the point is, the BBC is you know, stepping into this ridiculous fact-checking nonsense, and they're literally admitting, well, we're making fake accounts to be able to do... <laughs> Great, so you're the, ones, you're the ones out there faking stuff and making, and you're out there trying to suss out what we're... It's just hilarious. But because they're the good guy, it's, it's basically foreign policy of the U.S. government. Right? So you're, so you're out there breaking the law in the sense it would be, you know, whatever lying about who you are, but in the world sense, breaking the law, breaking the doing this, invading this, and, you know, violating UN treaties, all because you're fighting for freedom. So that makes it okay. But if you remove the content or the, the narrative, you're doing the same thing they are. <laughs> cool. So you're just as bad with a different spin. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about, right? Is that they just come out and go, oh, we're, we're going to fake things and we're going to surreptitiously make accounts online and we're going to, in the interest of freedom and truth. <laughs> okay. Or not. But think about this. So if the FDA telling you, and again, the point was this video is just, oh, you prepared? The internet's going to shut down? Well, this isn't even about that. This is a video about misinformation. But I do you not find it ridiculous and uh, uh, too on the nose on the day they release satellite phones to the government that they release a video about the internet going down? And that would mean, the point is, it's about some massive, you know, EMP kind of thing. And then two days later, China, hacker. <laughs> it's just so stupid. But then, of course, the point is, you know, sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing, which it's just hilarious that what they're really telling you to do is don't look at things that don't come from sources that we tell you are OK. The real truth, the government refused to tell you. Well, look at it. Look at it. And if it's just a bunch of text and there's nothing to back it up, then don't then ignore it. Which is, by the way, 99 percent of the time what you get from the U.S. government and corporate media. But if it, you look at it and there's information I love this. Misinformation spreads six times faster than the facts. <laughs> I would love to see how they figured that one out. <laughs> That's just so stupid to me. God. Now, the point is that we can always tell you, like, like uh, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head. Mark Twain. You know, I forget. I'm I'm probably going to misquote it, but the idea that you know that by the time the 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 lie will the, the the lie will circle the world twice before the truth gets its boots on, or whatever the the phrase is, that's obviously true. Just because, not not always, but because people like interesting information, and usually lies are a little more interesting. Can be, but not during COVID. Of course, the truth was far more interesting than all the lies they were spinning. But either way, I find it very telling. So overall, main point here. Is, is this more about what we're talking about? Is this the essentially the engineered collapse of all this for the same reasons they've been screaming at about forever, for decades? 
I think there's more to this. But so overall, what is this all leading us into is this new like technological reimagining of where we're all going. Now, what you might be, you'd be forgiven for assuming that that is the next step because <laughs> that's what they're telling us, right? But the problem that I'm seeing is this is not the next step. This is right now. If in fact already been going on for a decade, right? That's the concerning thing for me is that I'm very quick. Like we keep finding out, you know, glyphosate, for example, I point out. Well, we woke up one day and it was just literally everywhere and it's too late. That's what I'm afraid of about where this is. And possibly has already happened. It doesn't mean we can't do something about it. Is that all of this, the collapsing, the pushing, and we see this materializing with the Great Reset, you know, the, the, the technological nano biosurveillance, bio delivery, all these things they're pushing right now. That's where all this seems to be going. And I'm really concerned with how this will be used to take steps from there about whether this will be used to justify some other rational step. Like, for instance, if this was something that was just ubiquitous and that was an accident or how it's framed anyway, and they just wake up one day and say, oh, well, it does turn out that this is out of control or Lieber's virus transistors have gotten out of control, whatever you want to talk about. And so but 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 don't worry, though, we have a solution. Right. We have a solution. We have the right nanotech that will stop this from getting out of control. So take your new shot or let us spray it on, whatever. That may seem outside of the possible to some people, but I really do believe this is where we're at. Let me explain why I think this is so concerning with something that is literally taking place right now. Alexis Baden, Mayor, thank you for pointing this out. I appreciate this latest Lieber Langer bioweapon delivery mechanism. Great find on this because I do think I I didn't I didn't see this and this is crazy. This is actually from uh, March 2023, but what's interesting is this goes all the way back to 2019, and I'll show you what I mean. MIT News: New nanoparticles can perform gene editing in the lungs. Now, what's so in- insulting about all of this is you'll see that this is literally the same stuff. Now, whether it's a syringe that's injecting something that happens to have the mRNA instructions in there that then deliver those instructions to make a spike protein and they call that immunization or you're spray, you know, aerosolizing something that you inhale, which is delivering mRNA instructions to change something differently in regard to a genetic problem like cystic fibrosis. It's all the same process. My point is that if you gave someone an injection with these RNA delivery instructions for cystic fibrosis, well, is that a vaccine or is that gene therapy? So we're literally arguing that it becomes a vaccine because it produces something that can then cause immunity or, or actually fail to in their case. Well, that's ridiculous. So that's just splitting hairs. It's about the process, not the end result, right? So this is gene therapy, but you all know this. This is one of the most obvious games they played when I think it was Merck or different people spoke up and said, look, they, I'm surprised everybody took gene therapy. They all know this. They all know this is gene therapy. And the reason they have to lie about that is because under gene therapy, the rules, the laws are different. But so here we are looking at literally the same thing that's now being aerosolized or rather has already been aerosolized for four years now or maybe long before that, that can be breathed in and then you start to have a genetic, a genetic reaction from that based on what it was performed, designed to do. Now, how is that not scary to people? What happens if this gets breathed in by the wrong person? What happens if it gets released by accident? What happens if you didn't design it properly and it multiplies? I mean, my God, that's not crazy. Of course, they'll just, because we didn't, 
they'll argue. But the point is, or or how about that was the design? How about this is released as a way to only affect certain kinds of genes that only show up in certain kinds of people? I mean, the point is people are just trained to go, that will never happen. They would never. Oh, they would never. <laughs> I think we should put that excuse down after we just lived through the last three years. Engineers at MIT and the University of Massachusetts Medical School have designed a new type of nanoparticle that can be administered to the lungs where it can deliver messenger RNA. But I, I, I chose to leave it as mRNA in the title because I want people to not be confused. But we're talking modified RNA. As far as I can tell, there is no example of mRNA being used in these processes where it's viable or maybe not even possible. I don't know. But they seem to have like with Pfizer. B, uh, BNT162B1, as they argue, was was natural, was, was messenger RNA. Whereas they went with the the um, methyl pseudouridine and one methyl pseudouridine modified messenger RNA to make it, and that's with you know pet, with polyethylene glycol and all sorts of other things to make that viable. But of course, then we see all the side effects it's causing, which means it's not just about having some number on a piece of paper. They, there's side effects that are hurting people, whether they're allergies or all the other things we've all gotten into. A whole other conversation. But so we're clear, this is talking about modified RNA in every sense. It's delivering this via aerosolization of nanoparticles. With further development, these particles could offer an inhalable treatment for cystic fibrosis and other diseases of lung of the lung, researchers say. I don't know why that's unique to the lung, right? If you just simply change the delivery, or rather the instructions, or rather, you know, whatever it's meant to do is the real point here. Like, based on this logic, this would mean that it's if it's unique to the lung, then why are the injections working? Or rather, not working, but rather delivering what they say it is. Again, that's a whole that's a hard argument to make right there, seeing as how it seems that they either didn't work or aren't even doing what they said they were going to do, or it's something other than we think it is. In any case, this is the first demonstration of highly efficient delivery of RNA to the lungs in mice. In a study of mice, Anderson and his colleagues used the particles to deliver mRNA encoding the machinery needed for CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing. That could open the door to designing therapeutic nanoparticles. And this is the crazy part to me. Designing therapeutic nanoparticles that can snip out and replace disease-causing genes. Guys, this is two things. This is the platform concept like everything else we're talking about. Designer delivery systems for designer injections or therapeutics. So now these are just, we're, this is, understand how crazy that is. The whole point about this platform concept was they could just do designer. Like we already saw it with the the pork. I think it was this, uh, I'm not going to try to remember off the top of my head. It was sequil or something. It was the platform for the mRNA injections for the pigs that have been going on for 2018 forward, right? And we talked about this. The platform itself was based on a single isolate that they argued was safe, but then that goes away and they use the new thing that comes in genetic sequencing or the genetic sequence. They make a new thing. So why'd you even do safety testing if it's not even big? The point is, it's just about, they claim they don't need safety testing going forward. All right, so on one side of this, we're talking about a designer concept for platforms for injections, or in this case, genetic edit, or, uh, therapeutics. But then there also is an entire platform system for designing the delivery version. And you know why that's important? And that's what we're seeing play out today, because that is what's one of the main parts that's hurting people. 
you know, the, the polymer nanoparticles versus the lipid nanoparticles and all these different things we've gone over. I know for a lot of, for a lot of people out there, your, your mind is not where I'm at with all of this. So some of this may be over your head, but at the end of the day, we've gone over a lot of this in recent shows about the different, the back and forth of all these different things and how one of them, you know, is increasing possible side effects, but it increases the degradation or, or reduces the degradation. And, you know, and it's, it's this tightrope they're using and all these things have been completely investigational by themselves but then on top of that they've never even been tested together up until all this started in any case i'm getting off track the point is a designing therapeutic nanoparticles that then this is the next part snip out and replace disease causing genes it's just seeing as how this in and of itself is a very investigational experimental concept is that not it just that seems dangerous especially we're talking about something that is inhaled what if you don't want that gene cut out, right? What if it's a problem for somebody, but not somebody else? And all of a sudden this has directions and you snip this in and it's not you. I mean, I, I, this, I know I'm uh, sequivity. Thank you, Jacob, in the chat. That's the gene, the mRNA, mod RNA pork platform. It's ridiculous. Anyway, the point is that you can see how this is just playing God. Now, you may argue that the, the benefits outweigh the risks. I'm sure that's the tattoo that on their foreheads. But ultimately, I don't think a lot of people even want this to continue with how clearly they just failed and are screaming success. The senior authors of the study, which appear today in Nature, well, look at that. Robert Langer. Not that that's very shocking for all people right now, because it's obvious this is just an extension of the same work. Charles Lieber, virus-sized transistors, the bio-delivery system, the, 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 the implantable mesh, the bio-surveillance yeah, bio from internal and, and outside control, the idea of delivery of a payload. That's all of it. It's all the same stuff. Right now, Charles Lieber is literally working on a, a just published a 2023 study about the mesh implantables for bio-surveillance. And they're all working under the same umbrella. It just blows me away that we can't, that some can't seem to connect that it's all the same thing. Not like literally, but the concept that there, this was designed or rather better word to put it was planned. Like this direction was set in stone seemingly before we ever got here. And we're not going to pretend like that hasn't led them to push this forward at your expense in many cases, if not all of them. I certainly think so. Treating the targeting the lungs. One obstacle to its development thus far has been difficulty in de delivering it to the right part of the body without off target effects. Now, one th first of all, think about this in the concept, the context of the injection. Because it's the same conversation. What we're all that we're talking about here is the way it's delivered and then the G or the, the what it's delivering, essentially. But the concept of the mRNA or rather modified RNA delivery system is the same point. So if they're putting this in your body and they're having a problem with getting it in the right part of the body without effects, well, that's exactly what we're seeing with the injections. Now, what you're going to see is they don't want to connect these because you're going to see that they're still developing this. They're still working out the bugs while they give it to your children. Injected nanoparticles, just like lipid nanoparticles, often accumulate in the liver, you don't say. Weird how that's exactly what we're seeing with lipid nanoparticles. Not weird at all. It's the same thing. Yeah, lipid nanoparticles do collect in your liver, and that is dangerous, and they knew that. So several clinical trials evaluating potential mRNA treatments for diseases of the liver are now underway. Great. So they're using what they discovered with your harm 
to make something beneficial for themselves. RNA-based COVID-19 vaccines, which are injected directly into muscle tissue, have also proven effective. <laughs> See my point? Are well, they're effective. Are they? Well, effective at doing what? Delivering instructions? Well, sure. Did they help people? Did they stop what we were supposed to? Well, that, I don't even think that was on the table. I think this was an experiment that we are watching continue to play out. In many of those cases, mRNA is encapsulated in lipid nanoparticles a fatty sphere that protects mRNA from being broken down prematurely and helps it enter target cells. Yeah, that's, that was lip, that was the Lieber research I've pointed out many times. Not where it was the original, but that was the breakthrough moment for his, in 2011, virus-sized transistors, where he talks about using that exact process. When his team coated the hairpin nanowire with a fatty lipid layer, the device was easily pulled into the cell via membrane fusion, a process related to one cells used to engulf viruses and bacteria. The point was, when the structure was as small as a virus or bacteria, well, it behaves the way biology does. We don't know the difference. I'm, I off Every time I go over this, I go, well, is it, is, it not, is it not possible this is what we're dealing with? Certainly is. Back to the point. He's saying mRNA. Uh, wait, right here. In 2019, his lab, Langer, uh, Robert Langer, created nanoparticles. Oh, excuse me. He's talking about Anderson's lab in this case. Anderson's lab. They created nanoparticles that could deliver mRNA encoding a bioluminescent protein. I'm sure you can guess which one to lung cells. So here's an example. Whatever the purpose is of actually having lucifer luciferase. Well, this is what's interesting. We'll read this right now, actually. Let me finish this paragraph. Those particles were made from polymers instead of lipids. Now, why does that make sense? If the whole point was lipids were chosen with the injection because the polymers were more dangerous or they didn't, de they didn't degrade as much. And realize we're not talking about just using lipid nanoparticles with a little bit of pegylation to it, but the idea of using polymer nanoparticles. But it says, which made them easier for, to aerosolize for inhalation into the lungs. Okay, well, now we see why, right? So the point is that they're doing something that I can see clearly will be more problematic, but as long as it gets the job done. However, more work is needed on those particles to increase their potency and maximize their usefulness. I'll just leave off the part about whether it's dangerous. In their new study, the researchers set out to develop lipid nanoparticles that could target the lungs. Okay, we'll come back. 2019, he references this work. Now, you might be surprised to find out that it seems to be the same thing all the way back then. So we're talking about the aerosolization of nanoparticles delivering instructions of gene therapy, and that doesn't come into conversation with the exact same technology miraculously working for the injection. Seriously? Well, here it is. January 4th, 2019. Also Robert Langer. Engineers create an inhalable form of messenger RNA. Now, why didn't they do that instead? Think about that. It's a genuine question. If they had this ready, why didn't they just do that? It seems way easier than an injection. They don't need the... the cold temperatures and all this different stuff because it gets broken down into a powder and you'll see for yourself. Well, that's pretty strange, isn't it? There's clearly more going on here than we realize. The biggest obstacle in 2019 to this approach so far has been finding safe and efficient ways to deliver mRNA molecules to the target cells. Okay. Well, safe and efficient. So if in this same time frame they were using the same stuff and they didn't seem to have to... And that's the same point I'm trying to make. It's the same thing every time. I make this point every time. It wasn't safe or effective because it was as they raised the lipid nanoparticles 
and you know, and playing in that one conversation, playing the tightrope with the pay, polyethylene glycol and lipid nanoparticles. But as they raised that in order to make it make the journey to deliver the instructions, well, it caused too many problems. And they failed over and over over the last so many years and then suddenly succeeded with COVID-19. So my point is, you can see them right here. Do it well. It was, we was trying to find a way to make it safe. Well, ask yourself how it's possible they could do the same thing in the same way and somehow it made it safe. MIT researchers have now designed an inhalable form of mRNA, mRNA in 2019. The researchers showed they could induce lung cells. And it's, by the way, it even has to do with lungs, by the way. Aren't we talking about COVID pneumonia, as they're all calling it now? Apparently, this is something they didn't want to get into, despite it being farce. I mean, look, I'm not going to pretend this is safe and that one's not, or I think all of this stuff is concerning and dangerous. But overall, if you're going to compare things, a, in, a, a syringe-injected concept that, does, that, ne that necessitates far more you know, both lipids and polyethylene glycol and everything to make that successful, which was the reason it was hurting people before, seems like a choice to make it dangerous versus something that is broken down to a powder and then aerosolized like by an inhaler or different kinds of things that then don't need to be treated the same way and arguably wouldn't need as much. See my point? So pretending one is safer than the other, the interesting part is in this time frame they had this choice but still went with the direction that seems to be far more experimental. How do you make sense of that? But then it goes on to say the researchers show they can induce lung cells in mice to actually produce luciferase. That's really interesting to me. The whole point before was, no, it was lab stuff to be able to find out where it went and so on, which I do agree with. That's how it's used. But why in this case would you want this to make it inside the body and li literally have your body produce luciferase? I, you, that would seem to add up with what we were talking about before, about tracking and, and being able to tell. I mean, even though this, I mean, I, I don't want to get too mired in the hypothetical, but that's really interesting to me. Now, it says Asha Patel, an assistant professor at Imperial College of London, of course, is the lead author of this paper with Robert Langer in 2019. Same thing. So here he is in 2023 working on something that they apparently succeeded in doing in 2019. Just, you know, obviously with the differences we just read. But it goes on to say, treat treatment by inhalation. Many researchers have been working on developing mRNA to treat genetic disorders or cancer by essentially turning the patient's own cells into drug factories. Yeah, you all know exactly what I'm going to play next. I, what's, what's, what's so incredible to me, as I've been playing that so many times for so long, because it's so, it just seems so obviously relevant to what we're talking about. But what's crazy to me is that this, and also it has to do with Forbes talking about, you see Pfizer in the background. But what's crazy to me is that this is clearly, like, one more part of this that I hadn't even drawn a line to is now connecting back to the exact same conversation. The exact same conversation, the Lieber-Langer connection. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to pack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Yeah, exactly. And now this clip that I picked because I thought it was more relevant to COVID-19 suddenly comes full circle to show you that long before COVID-19, this is what they were already doing. Trying to create a situation where they could literally turn your body into the pharmaceutical company to where all they have to do is go, here's a genetic sequence, create what we already know, we, what we have trained your body to make. That's just absolutely crazy.
turn and you think this is I mean this is literally written by MIT in their own to turn your own cells into drug factories. <laughs> just, just, that's, that's absolutely crazy. Many existing drugs for asthma and other lung diseases are specially formulated so they can be inhaled via either an inhaler, which sprays powdered particles or medication, or a nebulizer, which releases an aerosol containing the medication. The MIT team, MIT team set out to develop a material that could stabilize RNA during the process of aerosol delivery. Some previous studies have explored a material called polyethyl, uh, polyethyl enamine, enamine, or PEI, for delivering inhalable DNA to the lungs. However, PEI doesn't break down easily. So with repeated dosing that would likely be required for mRNA therapies, the polymer could accumulate and cause side effects. Right. 2019. So one, that's the obvious reason why it was what they went with lipid nanoparticles in the in the discussion of the injection, but even then ended up adding polyethylene glycol to make that. And that was one of the reasons, as James Lyons-Weiler was telling us right in the beginning, was there was going to be all sorts of pathogenic priming and, and, and anaphylaxic shock. And on top of that, that it just has its own problematic effects in your body. But overall, and then one of the reasons why it seems to not be breaking down as well, where it just continues to circulate and sustain synthesis of the spike protein. But all that aside, well, even that technically slightly different point to be sustained synthesis, I think, is because that's designed to make it self-amplifying. But in regard to the actual mRNA instruction, in this case, the point would be that that is not breaking down. So it's actually the mRNA that's continuing to circulate. But all of this we've shown to continue to do so. All of it. And it's not just in your shoulder muscle. It's through your bloodstream, seemingly indefinitely, as far as we can tell. But the polymer could accumulate and cause side effects. So in 2019, they're stating this. But so what's what's interesting is that in the 2023 article, they're talking about using the polymer. It just it doesn't it doesn't make much sense. But it says the particles the team created consist of spheres approximately 150 nanometers in diameter with a tangled mixture of the polymer and mRNA molecules that encode luciferase, a bioluminescent protein. The researchers suspended these particles in droplets and delivered them to mice as an inhalable mist using a nebulizer. Quote, breathing is used as a simple but effective delivery route to the lungs. Once the aerosol droplets are inhaled, the nanoparticles contained within each droplet enter the cells and instruct it to make a particular protein from mRNA. Right. So it seems very clear to me that, like, what's if let's just say something happened and the other, the wrong person inhaled this, which seems very likely or possible at the very least. Well, is it, are you going to then create something you don't need? Is that going to become a problem? And that's, that's not even getting into whether this ends up doing it continuously, like we've already seen with these other injections. There's so many things to this that are concerning. And it's not because we should just not try. Like, I, my personal opinion, yes, I think we should never look at this ever again. But my point is not to say that we should just never look into new things because it might be. The point is that we've already seen a demonstration of, one, their lack of concern for how it is being hurt, it's damaging. But on top of that, we already see that they're not fully vetting this out before they take the next step. That's the mo- the main point for why it blows me away that we're just sprinting in the direction of platforms and universal injections and pan-coronavirus ferritin injections. As we can literally see, the current platform is, is burned to the ground. 
But it says the researchers found that 24 hours after the mice inhaled the mRNA, lung cells were producing the bioluminescent protein. The researchers were able to maintain steady levels of the protein by giving the mice repeated doses. Okay, so if this was some sort of an experiment to see what happened, or maybe there was an agenda here with what you were being made, what was being made, well, you can now begin to see why the repeat doses were necessary. I mean, I don't believe this is about keeping people healthy. There's so many examples of this where you could tell they knew, at the very least, in the beginning it wasn't, but as you got into it, that it wasn't safe. That it was hurting, but they just kept tripling down, quadrupling down. But more doses and more doses and more doses. And you can see throughout a lot of this, that seems to be a common recurrence. Occurrence. It says, in, in her new lab at Imperial College of London, Patel plans to further investigate mRNA-based therapeutics. So in 2019, Imperial College of London was involved with the technology that was used to create the injections. And then Imperial College of London was the very group through Neil Ferguson that was the entire, was the linchpin of the lie that is still being carried to this point. That this is dangerous and it's not. And we'll come back to that in a minute. The lack of danger in the information. In this study, the researchers also demonstrated that the nanoparticles could be freeze-dried, that's what I was saying a moment ago, into a powder, suggesting that it may be possible to deliver them via an inhaler instead of nebulizer, which could make the medication more convenient for patients. 2019. So why in the world did they go in a direction with something that was an injectable, that needed to be kept at freezing temperatures, when all of this was already possible? Translate Bio, a company developing mRNA therapeutics, partially funded this study and has begun testing an inhalable form of mRNA. Working with the Koch Institute and plenty of others, I actually was starting to look into Translate Bio, and I, I forget, actually, I think I put it aside for the moment, but as always, it's important to look into these groups, their connections, and you probably won't be surprised to find out all the different things that all of these groups seem to tie back to. Now, before we go forward, let's continue this article. Efficient, efficient delivery. And this is back to 2023. Finishing the article, it says, in further tests in mice, the researchers showed that they could use the particles to deliver mRNA encoding CRISPR-Cas9 components designed to cut out a stop signal that was genetically encoded into the animal's lung cells. When that stop signal is removed, a gene for fluorescent, fluorescent protein turns on. So it's weird, this recurrence about this bioluminescent luciferase now honestly that's not the even the most important thing for me but i think it's very interesting the overlap to that the name in general but overall think about how this is obviously dual use now mishaps or designed failures aside is it not obvious that this could be designed to deliver something else right i mean think about the idea of and actually there's a this uh, uh, another what's the right way to say that the Magneto conversation comes back up again today. We'll point that in a second. The idea of the ferret and nanoparticle conversation. But the idea that we talked about it in that, where their whole point is they can literally just kind of turn off your desire to want to eat using dopamine impulses, let alone that's including actually controlling actual movements of human and animal bodies. That's a real thing. Using injectable Ferritin's nanoparticles. That is completely legitimate, and I'll, I'll come back to it right here in a second. Gene, genetically targeted magnetic control of your nervous system. It's the same discussion of the Magneto Guardian article. 
for those that just denied it. It can't be real until I see it on corporate media. But this is very, very real. But the interesting part is that if you can give somebody an injection that can create the ability to control, or in, going back to the main point here, that if you could deliver a gene or the instructions to create an action within your genetic makeup that can cause you to do something that would hurt yourself, or how about just cause your body to have some kind of a reaction that kills you? Like, these are not hypothetical. 100% they can do that. So, of course, you can take what they're, where they're going to go with it. Bad actors might use it inappropriately. Well, you're the bad actor as far as I'm concerned, but it's, 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 it's anybody. So even if you pretend that bad actors could use it, why are we putting this out into the world? And even if you think it's necessary to do so, I think it's crazy that we're in a situation where we're watching this continue to go forward at a time when nobody seems to be monitoring. You know, there's no kind of balance here. Nobody's making sure they're not nefariously acting. If that, what that even would look like, I don't know. But overall, why, what would stop them from using this in a way that let's just say is nefarious in my mind, your mind, was designed to, you know, do the a bad thing for the right reasons. You know, kill off the population for the success of everybody else. Create a, gene a genetic engineered, a, gen a genetic editing cyst concept that would stop people from wanting to eat certain foods. Or You know, I mean, we could go all day. The point is, it's not hard to see that this would be something that they would execute if they decided it was the right thing to do. Or rather, they made that argument. And as always, 2019 and plenty of other times, is where they argued that if moral bioenhancement, which is what we're talking about here, if that, you know, not in the sense that that is moral, but the idea if they were to use something like this to deliver some sort of a, you know, like they talked about it, an enzyme that would make you not want to eat meat anymore to save the planet from climate change. That's a genuine conversation. They say if that ought to be compulsory, well, then it, then it should be done covertly. This is to say that morally preferable for compulsory enhancement to be administered without you knowing. Why? Because you don't understand. It's for the benefit of everybody. My point is it's not hard to see arguments like that made. So it says, after one dose of mRNA, about 40% of lung epithelial cells were transfected, the researchers found. Two doses brought the level to more than 50. But guess what? Three doses, 60%. Just interesting overlaps with all these kind of... the multiple injections, the timing of it all. The new particles also break down quickly, allowing them to be cleared from the lung within a few days and reducing the risk of inflammation. Well, it's the, what they're claiming anyway. But the point is it's the same work, same polymer overlap, which you can read for yourself, but yet they somehow manage to say it breaks down. Either way, all of this is still happening. In, in an aerosolized, inhalable delivery system for messenger modified RNA instructions. I mean, even if we're just talking about the injection or rather the, you know, the illusion of vaccination, they're calling all of this. Well, that's killing people. Even if they don't realize that's dangerous, let's say they decided to go, we're going to put this out in the world to save everybody from COVID. That's dangerous. That's crazy. Now, one other thing I thought was interesting about this is I tried to look into this more to find out what company was making this, what the, you know, all these different things. And interestingly enough, one of these platforms that usually talks about that, it's gone. Well, of course, I've got on the way back machine. Now, that doesn't always mean something, but I just found that very strange. There's so much, this deletion, there's just weird cultivating of the internet today. This is from March 15th, 2023, and yet it's gone on this, it's no longer there. Well, let's look at it and see what it says. The field of genetic therapy seems to be making a collective shift 
towards the exploration of delivery systems. Well, isn't this what I've been saying? It's not what they're telling you. That's not, maybe that's why it's deleted. I don't know. But it's interesting that the whole point is what we're being told is this is a shift into, you know, the revolution in medicine. Well, what they're doing is this. They've already decided, like we showed you before, that the platform direction, mRNA platform, was the, was the future. Which is why we somehow already knew that Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca were not going to be the ones. Clearly, they were the ones to blame even though you can prove that Moderna and Pfizer are far more dangerous. They want, to, they want you to think those were the bad ones. Well, we knew the mRNA platform was already the plan, so that makes sense now. But on top of that, as we just pointed out, they're now making platforms or you know these, desi these designer delivery systems for the designer mRNA platform drugs. And as they're telling you in this article, well, they, there's clearly a collective shift towards that exact conversation. Why is that? Who decided that? Is it the the uh, the astounding failure on full display that makes them all want to jump into this field? That doesn't make sense. The nonprofit recently announced, the Cystic Fibrosis, Fibrosis Foundation, that they are making an investment of up to $2 million of this novel method, delivery of genetic therapies to the lungs. It's not, it's interesting, a novel method? It's not, it's the same exact thing. It's the same thing that we're talking about with the injections. But it's a novel method over here. They will do this by, and by the way, to, novel method, 2019. Everything's a framing right now. Everything's about framing to get you to take, to, to accept things in a certain way. They will do this by funding the development of an innovative delivery approach using polymer nanoparticle. This is what I was saying before. So explain for me why that's not more dangerous or rather, and as well that it breaks down somehow. Now, even polyethylene glycol, which arguably, and I was looking into this, is weirdly does somehow break down into water the point is that that's why they used it it does break down far less than or the longer adds it more durability so if we're just going full polymer nanoparticles versus lipid nanoparticles i don't understand that but maybe i'm missing something certainly possible comprising small polymeric structures combined with genetic cargo developed by boston company nanite nanite is a non-viral gene delivery company so an entire company built up around the idea of creating designer delivery systems for designer injections ask yourself how that company even exists right now because it's been around it's not brand new so apparently there's been companies that have been waiting in the wings for this revolution in 2020 for these injections and are already making delivery systems for the platforms we didn't even know were existing and point obviously this has been designed the plan has been laid whether it's nefarious or not they knew long before the public did which means it's not some organic choice based on what's happening in front of us that is right. One of the most significant challenges in developing new therapies, uh, it says, is the drug effective drug delivery. Polymer nanoparticles, you'll remember this for the future, PNPs, as opposed to LNPs, lipid nanoparticles, are a delivery modality that may offer several advantages other than means of, over other means of genetic therapy deliveries into cells. Specifically, PNPs may be less likely to trigger an immune response then viruses and lipid nanoparticles, okay? <laughs> so what's funny is we are literally told the opposite in other conversations where they're justifying why lipid nanoparticles were used in the injections. So how do you explain this? One of them is worse, right? One of them is more likely to trigger immune responses, which is what we don't want in the context of this. What they want is the immune response to be coming from the engagement with the spike protein after the mRNA creates that with the instructions. 
to have an immune response to the lipid nanoparticles is why you see these autoimmune problems or the different problems we've seen. Okay, so which one is okay? One of them. So now that we're moving past the injection onto this new future, they're going, ah, lipids are dangerous. We're going on to the good one. This seems very, very interesting and double and a contradictory statement and maybe more stable, which is the real point, and versatile than lipid nanoparticles, which can be more limited in the amount of drug payload released into the cells. Drug payload. Well, we're talking about the delivery of instructions to create the spike protein. But as I keep telling you, the concept from Lieber to Langer and all this information and the way it's still going forward was about the delivery of a drug, a payload, whether it could be a bioweapon, it could be any number of things. And we've talked about this in the original patent, vaccine nanotechnology patent. We'll come back to. Here's the patent right here. You can see Langer right there, Robert Langer. And one of the points it makes very clearly is, well, in some of these embodiments, in the way they could make this is the point, the small molecule they give could be instructions for a spike protein or it could be a toxin. In some embodiments, the toxin is from a chemical weapon, an agent of biowarfare or a hazardous environmental agent. That's quite literally written in this patent from 2017 about this exact technology that is being used right now. I'm not saying that means it is a weapon. Certainly could be. I mean, clearly I feel that it is. But overall, my point is that this just simply shows you or rather. Why wouldn't we ask if that might be happening already or maybe happening selectively to some people? I just don't know why we think that's not possible or rather why people are so quick to dismiss these things, even though we know that they're possible. Now, Nanite's platform, again, the platform, it's all about these designer drug platforms, designer delivery platforms for the drugs. It's called Sayer. Couples high throughput synthesis with artificial intelligence, which is the other big point here. So now we have all of this being designed with artificial intelligence, whatever that really means today, and is designed to rapidly explore a large chemical space to identify the best polymer nanoparticle candidates for genetic material delivery. So out of control, all of this. With the new funding from the CFF, Nanite will work on developing polymer nanoparticles that can accurately deliver messenger RNA therapies to the lung while potentially better resisting the thick uh, mucus clogs, blah, 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 blah. Eventually, Nanite hopes to expand these advances to deliver any gene therapy. I think that was generally it. So the point is just, you know, Nanite I wanted to look a little bit further into, and this is a Boston-based biotechnology company that provides a class of programmable polymer nanoparticles. Programmable for a range of modalities and, and, and indications. It develops experimental and computational methods. This It's the genetic sequence. It is computer code turned into something that goes in your body, however that makes sense. To design delivery vehicles for a range of genetic cargos and tissue specificity. Nanite's AI-driven platform Sayer TM combines cutting edge, high throughput, experimental and computational methods to design fit for purpose delivery vehicles, delivering a broad range of genetic cargos is founded in 2020. Explain that for me. Other than foreknowledge with where this was already going to go. I just think that's really strange. The timing and everything. Now here's Nanite, very minimal website. Very, it's very strange. Like to be quite honest, it's just my my personal in, opinion. Because ultimately, I this just a, per, just a broad, subjective, surface level opinion. There's nothing other than my opinion on the way the website looks. Just so that's very clear. But the way the, the impression it gives me is that these aren't real. This is some sort of intelligence cutout or something. 
right? I mean, it, it's just, there's n- basically nothing here. And some of these companies they connect with are also, are equally interesting. <laughs> this is Zeta. Also not much going on here. You can see the connections to these people here. But the point was, you know, another AI native startups, all this artificial intelligence overlap. Allure Security. Just look at the different companies. I didn't look at this yet. But the main point was this. Just again, another not main point, but the same thing. This is just this is just a single page. Architect Ventures, one of their one of their chief, one of the th- three or four. So the Sisters Fibrosis Foundation was one of the groups that's fighting cystic fibrosis. CMT is the carry. Uh, what was it? The Another another research foundation for drugs. The so the two partners that are working with them are an AI software company and this random architect ventures, AI native startup. And this is what this looks like. I mean, it says we invest in visionary entrepreneurs that transform cutting edge science and technology into solutions that radically improve and advance human health. So nothing, no about us, no nothing. I don't even I don't even buy that. What about you? That seems like a bl- a bland, ridiculous front page. That's just my opinion. But my whole point about all of this, as we know, Sasha Latipova, Taylor had a great interview with her, as a lot of other people have. This is all a military operation. It's not even a secret. Operation Warp Speed, all of it. Medical countermeasures. So what are we looking at? I think there's far more obvious. This is all examples of what create the impression of some sort of a patched together impression. The, the cutout, the concept of intelligence or something else that makes you think, well, it's all about medicine, when really it's an experiment or whatever you want to think it is. Something about it doesn't add up to me. Anyway, back to the point about this. This whole discussion about aerosolized particles, nanoparticles and what it can do is one of the reasons why things like this seem so important. Tennessee, thank God, that's where I am. This is another bill, HB0032. This bill prohibits additional conduct under the Tennessee Food and Drug Cosmetic Act. The main point, it adds to all of this. It's talking about the manufacture, sale, or delivery, and all the different cosmetics and what's inside of it. It specifically adds, as introduced, prohibits the manufacture, sale, or delivery, holding, or offering for sale of any food, any food, pork, meat, anything, that contains a vaccine, or vaccine material, like mRNA or mRNA, unless the food labeling contains a conspicuous notification of a presence of a vaccine or vaccine material in the food. Now, to be clear, I, I, this is a point where I would I would forego my point about vaccine versus injection, because this is just about cementing in law. So they're the ones calling this an, a vaccine. So if you were to call it something else, they would probably skirt the law, right? So you put this into the guys, as much as that may cement they think this is a vaccine that's the point to make the point is that they're putting this in the law that anything out there that even inadvertently has something like this in it well they can hold them accountable down here it says the bill adds the list of prohibited acts class c misdemeanors the manufacture sale delivery or holding or offering of sale what i just read anything with vaccine or vaccine materials the bill defines vaccine or vaccine material as a substance intended for use in humans to stimulate the production of antibodies and provide immunity against disease. Now, whether or not it ends up through some other process, the point is that's what they argue that's there to do in your injection. So if you find that of any st- mRNA in any of this stuff, 
or spike protein, all the stuff they're talking about, or any version of that. They, they're putting into law that that is a problem, that you can be held accountable legally. Now, the, I, have a, I mean, I wish it wasn't just a misdemeanor. I don't think they're going to care about that. But the bottom line is, it's stepping in the right direction. One problem, the one thing it does also say, though, is without including the disease that is uh, treated as an act to as an antigen without including inducing the disease that is authorized or approved by the United States food. Oh, that never mind. I've misread it. So the bottom line is that Tennessee is pointing out, look, you can't sneak this stuff into our food, which I love. But the point is the fact that that's even happening at in state legislatures, it shows you that this is real, guys. There's obviously something going on here, whether it's by accident or by design that we need to be aware of, fight against. And I'm never talking about violence, obviously. Now, bringing this back into the context of the fair discussion, somebody recently sent me, this is just the same conversation. Uh, it's, the, it's literally the same work, but I wanted to point this out from another study so you can see it for yourself. And genetically engineered magnetoprotein remotely controls brain and behavior, 2016. So here's the study itself. Genetically targeted magnetic control of the nervous system. We have overcome the disadvantages by synthesizing a single component, magnetically sensitive accutator, magneto, in quotes, comprised of the caution channel. This is what we keep pointing out. TP, TRPV4, fused to the paramagnetic protein ferritin. Together, our results present magneto as a novel accutator capable of remotely controlling circuits associated with complex animal behaviors. That's not it. That is movement, guys. You can read the study, read the information. They talk about animals and even further, they do it in mice and literally control their ability, the way that they act. That gets into the dopamine part of it, too. So you can actually control movement, but you can also give control the feeling, whether they feel good in certain places versus bad. Like, ask yourself why that's my, whether that's already happening. Driving you into certain groups radicalizing people in certain way, MKUltra conversation, right? This is real stuff. Now, on that note, I want to go back to this point again. So first of all, there's the Guardian article, but that this is the overlap to this. This is the same stuff. What I'm trying to show people is that it all circles back. Vaccine nanotechnology. This is 20, 2023, 20, this is, last one was 2017 when it was granted. And it's open until 2028. And it's the same, this is the exact same thing. Robert Langer, the, the, the present invention provides a compositions and systems for delivery of nanocarriers to cells of the immune system. Now, it's just a specific choice, right? This wasn't the immune system. It's the same point. This wasn't the, this was about cell, about lung problems and cystic fibrosis, but it's the same exact point. The invention provides vaccine nanocarriers capable of stimulating an immune response. And that's only because the instructions are delivered, the mRNA is delivering instructions for a spike protein that they argue will cause that response, even though clearly that's not happening. But so it's just the way they frame this. Here's that patent again. Just one more time. Make sure you see that, well, it could, if they wanted to, have that deliver instead a toxin, a chemical weapon, or any number of other things. Genetic instructions to do something damaging to your body. Here's one from 2020. Successes and challenges. Inhaled treatment approaches using magnetic nanoparticles in cystic fibrosis. 
again, I argue, are, I simply ask, why would this be would this even be part of the conversation prior to COVID-19 when they already knew that this is exactly, or maybe it was, and maybe there's more about this that we don't realize. The truth is, though, it's always been happening. You can look back a long way and find this stuff already in works. And we just talked about this recently on the Pirate Stream. Science, and we've talked about this before, actually. Scientists want to use people as antennas to power 6G. Just another way to look at this. Is it, is it also, just make it a super broad concept. Maybe it's just about getting enough in your body to where people can literally be meshed. I talked about this with Whitney a long time ago. The possibility that maybe this is about trying to use all of our human brains in some kind of meshed concept to be able to fully reach the singularity, which they seem to be failing at. I'm just hypothesizing here. But the bottom line is this is what popular mechanics is telling you they want to do. So this is probably just one aspect of all of this tying together. Very interesting to me. Now, on another angle, to take this another concerning route, we've talked a lot about the wastewater, the monitoring of the wastewater, the the medical pre-crime. Well, think about this in the context of all that we've talked about. Nanotechnology. Right. Actually, one more thing I want to play before we even get to the next part of it is the idea that, okay, we just talked about all this, the aerosolization of this stuff. Right. Well, what is this, if not a form of the same conversation of a self-spreading vaccine? Right. I mean, clearly it's not the same thing. I mean, it's like I talk about the spike protein. That's not even a vaccine, but it's still causing a reaction, which is still causing your body to create, you know, an, an immune response to it. So what is that then? But we're not, we're not, not to get into that conversation again, the spike protein shedding and so on, which is very important, but just this, the idea of an aerosolized nanoparticle that can literally create an immune response or rather your body can respond to it, right? And then we know we have the overlap with Charles Lieber, virus size transistors, like all of this, all this decided or all this discussed. If this were to get out into the world, what else would that be called? And now that we have this stuff seemingly being used since 2019, but clearly being pushed and discussed now, what would it be if not something like this? Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine? Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture and are currently making their way through the regulatory approval process. Yep, that's 2020. 2020 at a gigantic, the ESOF 2020 Euroscience Open Forum. It was huge. It was huge. And so they pretend to give lip service to it. Oh, it's a problem. Right. Well, so here's the thing. So we know that this is something that they just talked about. We know that they would argue it should be done. You know, some people, at the very least, should be done without your knowledge because it's better for humanity. We know that they're now literally working on aerosolized versions of of nanoparticles delivering instructions for God knows what. Right. Well, just in case you want a reminder of how long this has been possible and how small they are, let's let's watch this again too. Going to go away. They're going to just become invisible. We're still essentially the banging the rocks together stage for this sort of stuff. And you haven't really seen anything yet. So this is closer to the end of the vision. This is this powder-sized chip, um, and that's a salt crystal. So this is a small thing. 
is something called the Mu chip from Hitachi. It's the smallest commercially available RFID system in the world and can be pulse-powered by radio waves. It doesn't require a battery. You can literally scatter this stuff like dust or embed it into a sheet of paper. And you know what the really interesting thing about this technology is? This was commercially released 10 years ago. So the inevitability of smart dust. So what is smart dust? Well, smart dust, of course, isn't a new concept. It's the originated with DARPA back in the 90s. And it's just yeah, the same, the same group that's, that's created, worked on, and still operating with your injections. General purpose computing, sensors, wireless network, networking, all bundled up into millimeter scale sensor modes, drifting in the air currents, flex of computing power settling on your skin, ingested, monitoring you inside and out. And if you don't think that's possible, this is the Michigan Micromote. It's a cubic millimeter in size. And uh, in deference to the speaker before, yes, it runs an ARM processor. Um, it's a tiny computer, and it features data pro uh, processing, data storage, wireless comms. And it's probably as close to the true smart dust vision from the early DARPA days as we've come so far. All right. You guys have seen that many times. That's, that's from eight years ago. Eight years ago. And in this, he says that was available 10 years ago. Something, that's, something so small, it looks like dust. Now ask yourselves if you think that they would have used this by now. Or if you would ever know. Maybe we're at the time where they're just beginning to open the door to our awareness of what's already been happening. Right? Mind-blowing. The possibility of it all. Smart dust is literally what we're talking about, guys. That is what this is. Or at the very least, what it can be. Now, even back then, he's talking about the idea that you don't need anything else. Works on your body's own motion and so on. Right. But I think we're so far past this. The idea that in 2011, he already has things being made. Charles Lieber that are the size of a virus. Nanotechnology. What was it? A hundredth the size of a, the, the one we just talked about. What nano, um, nano, the nano size was. I forget the, what they said. It was, you know, thousand times the size of a hair or whatever they were saying. It's just, it's so small. It is literally dust, right? It's not these chips they're holding up all over the place. 2011. Something that is literally a robot, a, a, a nanobot that is like the size of a virus that acts like a virus that acts like biology. It's being inserted into people's cells. You know, think about that. All, and that that's all that time ago. And we're talking about this being used today as an aerosolized version. There's something that just doesn't connect here. Now, taking all of that concept, the idea that this might have been ubiquitously used a long time ago, into the conversation of the sampling of waste and what that means. Now, I'm really concerned about how this gets used, medical pre-crime kind of concept. That what, that for, if this is being used, if these nanoparticles, which are being injected everywhere and spray all over the place, why isn't that, why wouldn't that then end up as a recurring example of, you know, like they're testing wastewater, why wouldn't those things be showing up? And then does that mean they're going to say, oh, you guys are getting sick, or you're going to get sick, or how this ends up working, or it could be dishonestly used? All the hypothesizing aside, it's very concerning that they're doing this, and they're telling you we'll be able to know. So we can take action. We can lock you down before you get sick. And then guess what? Thank God we locked you down because nobody got sick. Okay, well, what if it was never going to happen in the first place? What if they lied to you? Both of those are possible. 
and they are separate because there's all there's plenty of examples of where and I'll show you right here where they go. We saw an example, but good. Nothing even happened, though, showing you that just because they find a signal doesn't mean that it will translate to illness, assuming that they weren't just wrong. And I'll show you why I think that waste. What and Whitney, Whitney and I've talked about this at least three different times about the, you know going all the way back to 2020 Pennsylvania. So far ahead of these stories, she is. What sewage secrets reveal about human health and disease? The advent of COVID-19 heralded an explosion in waste testing. It's got the potential to prevent the next pandemic. You know, the one they keep telling is going to be way, way, way worse. Because they know. Analyzing sewage for the presence of infectious diseases is nothing new. Scientists in the U.S. first tested wastewater for polio in the 1930s. And countries routinely include sewage analysis in their monitoring of the disease. Last year, wastewater testing alerted public health experts to a, pol- a strain of polio circulating in London. Remember that story? Well, the disease did not show up in anybody, in patients at all, but, but it was a warning of possible low vaccination rates. Okay, so nothing happened, though. So was it a warning? Were you wrong? Did you even care to ask? The point is, they just like the signal because they can go vaccines and stuff. Control. You guys do what we tell you because you're in risk. Let's not forget that that polio they're talking about, that was a vaccine-derived strain. They love to leave that part out. But the advent of COVID-19 heralded an explosion in poo testing, which some experts believe could be one of the major scientific legacies of the pandemic. Dozens of countries around the globe are now miming, mining their sewer systems for pathogens and some dream of a fully integrated global poo sampling network where data is instantly shared around the world. Shocking that it ends up there. That's exactly what this is about. Now, imagine you have this system like think about how quickly this happened around the world before this, pretending like there wasn't some lockstep coordination, you know, unprecedented. Everybody does the same thing around the world. Never happened in history, but, you know, totally not coordinated. The idea that they can have this system and say, well, we're testing and we can see it using our our our, uh, you know, red eye, you know, international flights or whatever. And we can tell that everyone's going to get sick in all these countries and we just have to do what we're told. Well, as far as they're concerned, yes. And that's exactly what this is about. And my, just like the point about the platforms and the way that we're pretending it was all a success or going forward, same thing here. Why are we allowing these people to dictate what everybody gets to do despite how catastrophically wrong they were? Or if you're paying close enough attention, how willfully dishonest they were and pretended they were just wrong. No one thought there would be any reason to find the coronavirus in wastewater. Okay, that's interesting. But to find something, you have to look for it. And people found it in stool samples. Well, the problem is, it says, even if respiratory pathogen, the point is respiratory pathogens, they, they didn't expect to find it in, in the wastewater. Because that's not, you don't, you don't find that. But suddenly they looked and what do you know? You found it. <laughs> well, maybe it's because they found what they were looking for because of the way they were testing it. I'll come to that in a second. But either way, they said, well, you know, it's a, it's a respiratory pathogen. So when, But even though you don't normally find it, if you cough and, and you swallow some of that, well, that goes back in your body. Cool. So instead of going, this doesn't make sense because we don't normally find these, and going, let's make sure we're not wrong, they go, well, let's make up an explanation for why that would make sense. And then now we'll go forward forever testing for all respiratory samples too, which is what's happening. In Wales, authorities are still monitoring COVID and new variants, but are also now searching for other respiratory bugs, even though they just told you that's never happened before, like RSV, which they're now finding. <laughs> okay, so if they've never been, the, the argument was you don't find these in the sewer system before, but they just randomly tested because COVID and COVID turned out to be an anomaly. Well, if it's an anomaly, why are you now finding other? Okay, you get the point. My 
feeling is that they're lying or finding something they're looking for using a cycle threshold. It says we're seeing the virus pretty much all the time at the moment. Hmm, that doesn't seem to add up. Well, it says it's not causing any great concern or huge numbers of hospitalizations. Oh, okay. But if a new and dangerous variant were to emerge, we could pick that up. Well, there's so much to go over there. We're not seeing, we're seeing it everywhere, they say. Well, okay. If that's even, the, I find that hard to believe. Seeing as how that's, anyway, the second point is causing great, not causing great concern. Aren't they the ones right now telling us that it is, in fact, causing problems. That it's causing all sorts of things with long COVID and all these things that we, we could show. Well, okay, even if you want to pretend that's not immediate, you're still arguing that it's dangerous because it ends up being a problem. Except we know that's not true, though. And the real point is, well, it's not hurting anybody. And the truth is, it never really was. They were, based on their illusion about it or lies and pushed action on other people. Overall, though, we know it's not. And they're telling you it's not. And then at the same time going, we're so baffled by why all these things are exploding. All the excess death and all the neonatal deaths and all the cancers and all the things that we now know isn't COVID, but we're so baffled. Oh, but it's also long COVID at the same time, though, right? Because that makes sense. Because that's what they're saying. It's probably actually long COVID, but, that's, but it's not hurting anybody, though. See, they love, they, they'll play it however they want in the moment. Right now, it makes sense to pretend it's not dangerous because, well, justifying the lack of problem. You get the point. Speaking out of both sides of their mouth all the time with everything, that means at some level they must know they're being dishonest. They social engineers. Of course they do. In the Central Valley area of California, wastewater surveillance has aided drug purchasing decisions. Think about this. They bought more specific drugs based on the sampling. Okay, explain for me why that will not then force them to take action to justify the use of those drugs or the use of buying more to increase the budget. You know how politics works. You don't have to pretend like this is some you know, worldwide conspiracy, even though it clearly is. Just from a political uh, enrichment perspective, right? Especially California. Why wouldn't we argue that this could be abused? Or let's say, though, we're going to test and we buy drugs. Let's just say they were wrong. It wasn't nefarious. They're wrong. And they buy $100 million of drugs because the, the, the test exploded and everything's going to get sick. And then they go, oh, whoops, we made a mistake. And that's actually not even dangerous. Well, we bought it. So now we have to use it. So now we're going to at least lean into it more. At the very least, we're going to suggest it more. And you see my point? Or way, even, way more nefarious, we're going to lie about it to get it used anyway. There's a whole spectrum there. But it guarantees that kind of dishonesty in politics. We know this by now. Quote, we see this as a potential opportunity to improve surveillance in a way that would allow a better understanding of what's coming and allow some early interventions. Of course, surveillance is the point. It is the age of internal surveillance, as Kavari keeps telling us. Surveillance under the skin. On top of that, early interventions. Because lockdowns are coming back, didn't we? We just spent the last three years, or, you know, all, some of us has, some of us have, maybe the last year for these people telling us, well, it didn't really work. And yeah, it caused addictions and child suicide and clearly was not worth it. It hurt more people than it. Like, this is like the mainstream conversation. I mean, to some degree. At the very least, it seems everybody's aware that that was not the right move. But just so you're aware, it hasn't even for a moment got off the table whether it's climate change or the next thing they want to tell you is dangerous, they are waiting. They can't wait to institute the next lockdown. And they're, they'll tell you that. 
lockdowns, masks, social distancing, you know, all the things we know weren't designed to work at all. But they're going to do them again. He says this would be useful and additional weapon. That's interesting. It would be an additional weapon in the global surveillance armory. That's his words. Similar to the recent proposal by the UK government for pathogen detectors at seaports. Weapon for global surveillance. That's their term. But it's all for your safety, though. It's all for your protection, guys. Well, guess what? You want to know how they're doing it? You're probably not shocked. The presence of viral RNA in a wastewater sample is defined by PCR test. Well, worse than that for those in the podcast, they have their cycle threshold set to 40. If you're paying attention at all during this process, you know that that is guaranteed to cause false positives. Guaranteed. So when they did the post-vaccination testing, don't forget, they made sure to do it under 28. But they kept the pre-vaccination testing for COVID at 40. And by the way, still do. Not hard to prove. And everybody anywhere that was familiar with these said that's a guarantee. I mean, it's obvious. I don't even need to get into it again. If you guys don't know, it's going to be hard to explain it off the top of my head. Or rather, I have the information, but just to, you know, just stating this. Look into this for people that care. The cycle threshold was a way to make this manipulative. They can up, they can increase the cycle threshold. The point is, Kerry Mullis, the inventor himself, told you that you will find whatever you want to find if you keep looking further. If you keep increasing the cycle threshold. The bottom line is, you can prove that 40 is absurd. That you will find exactly what you want to find, and that's exactly what's happening. I believe that's on purpose. This is their, their system. Oh, and then just the same point is in their system. It tells you very clearly... They, they're using either RT-PCR or RT-DD-PCR. They're both using the same concept. And, of course, what the Telegraph wants you to think is not that what they're doing has destroyed everybody's lives and destroyed their immune systems and causing cancers and everything else to explode. No, that's not what's happening. They're telling you that COVID just turned the clock back on health. Their words. COVID turned back the clock on health. Don't worry about science or, you know, some kind of rational explanation. We're just going to pretend that COVID just turned everything back to the way it was 100 years ago. Now we're all sick again. Improving trends in malaria, tuberculosis were reversed, immunization coverage decreased. Of course, that's what they want you to think everything is. Not true. And fewer people were treated for neglected top. This is such garbage. They really want you to think that COVID just changed everything. Despite the fact that it's not even that dangerous, if even there at all. Before we get to that, I wanted to make one other quick point that I thought was really ridiculous. At the same time, they're talking about all this, and I don't even think this is necessarily connected, but it says from CBS News, up to 1,000 gallons per day. Roseville, where I grew up, to convert wastewater into methane power, or methane to power waste collection fleet. Fleet. Okay. Do you, I'm curious to see where everyone's minds go immediately. My brother, of course, was like, oh, you know, wastewater, mRNA, which is certainly something to think about. But ask yourself why it makes sense. If they're somehow able to turn your wastewater, which is literally everywhere, we are not at shortage of wastewater, into power that is able to successfully fuel 
their entire fleet of collection. Why is that not what we're using everywhere in the world? Why is that not the only thing we do instead of oil and all the conversation of green? Either that's a lie and not possible, or they're exposing the fact that they have all sorts of alternative methods that they just don't want you to know about. Or maybe they're, I don't even know how to explain that. Am I crazy? Or is that the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen? Oh, we're just going to use old wastewater, all your poop water, and we're going to run our trucks on it. (laughs) But you're going to use, you're going to have to pay for gas though. You're going to have to keep using what we tell you to use despite, I mean, come on, really? Or about the fact that we know that there's people that have made things that could run on different, like types that arguably run on water or run on different types of oils. There's all sorts of conversations about this throughout history that you could prove are that are very are at least viable and yet have been attacked and undermined and suppressed by the government, who, of course, is out for your best interest. <laughs> I just can't get past that. I think that is so it's and you read it for yourself. It's exactly what they're saying. City of Roosevelt is a new way to power their vehicles. Tuning using wastewater into fuel. So why don't you do that for the whole world? <laughs> why don't you do that for everybody in the country? I mean, my God, that's stupid. Anyway, back to this point. COVID changed everything, right? Well, if COVID literally turned the earth on its ear and everything exploded in the super dangerous, explain for me why then it's less dangerous than the flu, according to this peer-reviewed study. Now, again, for those that think that is then siding with the idea that it does exist for sure, of course, because you have to take a side. You're with us or us again. Like, can't you not see that doing that from all these different arguments is just as crazy as the government? You're either with us or against us. You're, you're playing their game for them, guys. Stop being so gullible in the sense of choosing to ignore everybody else's comments, not that one size right or wrong. The point is, ultimately, that this could very well just be the breakdown of the lack of, of, of risk that we ended up getting with the combination of flu and pneumonia and the, the illusion around all of it or whatever you want to call this. But the point is, regardless of how you think this was reached, the Ionitis group, which you've seen before, which is highly respected, January 23, Science Direct, Elisa Beer, peer-reviewed, at a global level pre-vaccination infection fatality rate. Your risk of mortality was as low as 0.03 to 0.07. 0.03 under 59, 0.07 under 69. And the main point here is that 94% of the entire population is in that category. 86% is younger than 60. 94% of the world was never at more risk than 0.07, which is way less than the flu. If you were under 19, 0.0003%. Under 29, 0.002. There's a reason that nobody talks about this. There's a reason this hasn't been attracted. It is undeniable. On top of that, we have the phase three trial data that shows that it's 36% more dangerous risk of death, severe, serious adverse effects for the Pfizer injection versus not taking it. But yet somehow we're still here. Either way, the point is COVID, whatever that may be, if it exists at all, did not change the world. You did by your lack of integrity, by your forceful nature, by your lies, by your siding with an evil empire. (laughs) That's what ultimately happened here. Well, Dr. Eli David also points out that even the Israeli government has released a document that shows you that even from within their narrative, they're showing you exactly what we just talked about. Following a court order on May 22nd, 
Israel's Ministry of Health released the data record, uh, regarding COVID mortalities. Total COVID deaths in the age group under 50 years old with no comorbidities. Zero. In all of this time, over three years, or whatever, what's the actual breakdown of where they claim it? Anyway, this whole time, you're going to pretend that nobody under 50 years old that's healthy died. Nobody. Doesn't that mean that this is not dangerous? That this is largely being affected by people who are already ill or by the actions being taken or lack of action or how the government action, this is not dangerous. That seems to suggest to me that it's not even there. Zero healthy people under 50 died of COVID. There was no once in a century pandemic, period. And that's where we get to Denny Rancourt's. Oh, this is, this is actually the wrong one. Let me see. Here we go. <clears throat> this is a good interview I had with Denny Rancourt about his outstanding study. Danny Rancourt interview data proves COVID-19 is actually an illusion. Now, he's not necessarily arguing that viruses don't exist or that it doesn't have to be something that's there, but he does argue, largely believe that at this point. The point is that you can prove that should they have wanted to, you could do, statistically speaking, you could have combined flu and pneumonia and called that COVID. You could have used the ventilators that were forced on people, as Dr. Seidel exposed, that were hurting people. You could have used all any number of things, the nursing homes, and then transitioned that into the vaccine side effects themselves, which clearly seem to be to some degree designed. And it becomes an illusion. It's not hard to understand, but you can, here's the actual breakdown. It's in, it's in Hebrew, but this is, this is real. It's, it's been released. Here's Dr. Norman Fenton saying, don't forget the scams they pulled, knowing that this is not dangerous. This is what they pushed on us, guys. There's still people that are wiping down their groceries. Don't touch this. Coronavirus stays on banknotes. I wonder why they focused on money. What do you think, guys? Banknotes can get you sick. Oh, meanwhile, digital ID. Or just digital everything. Dr. Claire Craig points out, well, in Chile, why are COVID cases rising despite remarkable vaccine effort? And what vaccine is Chile using? Chris Woody warned, could be proof that a strong vaccination program might not be enough, or if, if even the idea that it's even helping at all. Two years later, loads of deaths despite everything. Why are Chile cases rising despite high vaccination rate? Well, you, I think you understand. One thing it says I think is interesting is now that COVID has finally dropped, at least the narrative anyway, guess what happened? Chile suddenly reporting the highest influenza surge in South America. Almost like it didn't miss a beat. Remember we talk about the coupling and decoupling of these, these, these illusions? There you go. Just all of a sudden just blew up because the COVID got pulled away from the air. I mean, come on. That's very hard to miss. The point, though, is it gets into this about Chile is among the worst countries in the world in terms of cumulative excess deaths per capita. And in the percentage in the entire pandemic, despite being by far the most vaccinated country along with Japan and having had some of the most restrictive measures and longest lasting lockdowns. It takes a special kind of stupid to not be able to engage with how obvious that is. I'm not saying that has to prove because correlation is not causation. And seemingly we're the only there's only some of us that are willing to be honest enough to make that point when it matters. And largely I'm talking about the corporate media and all the ridiculous experts that are on that side. 
that are willing to ignore that. But the point is, you can clearly see this, that it's undeniable right now. The places that have the highest vaccinations are almost in lockstep right now with the highest problem. It's amazing the willful ignorance it takes to miss that or ignore that. Like Scotland pretending they're not going to look into neonatal deaths because vaccine hesitancy. That's just criminal. There's a lot of good information as you can look out, but the point is, guys, it's obvious. Chile, and here's Japan. Guess what? COVID's being blamed. Again, COVID for the sudden rise in fatalities across Japan. All they're, they're blaming all of it since 2020. It's all COVID. This is May 7th, 2023. You know why? Oh, I, thought, I think it was highlighted. Well, I'm, I'm just going to skip it then. But the point was because they're, they're simply arguing that COVID is, is different or hurting people. It's not the bottom line is they had, and you, as you just, as you just saw in that graph, first of all, it's right there. One of the highest rates as of February 27th of this year, around 77.5% of the entire population received the second dose of COVID injections and 68.4%, almost 70 had another booster. That's higher than almost anywhere. And same with Chile. And yet, weirdly enough, despite all the narratives about how, I mean, didn't, Fauci's the one that told us that 77 was more than enough. 70% was herd immunity, right? They're having the worst problem. Japan is on overload right now. It's crazy. The excess death is unbelievable. Well, here's something else, something else that Japan just did, which is kind of the same point. Japan's health, health group just apologized over how suspected COVID vaccine deaths were reported. You, this is the same story everywhere around the world. What does that tell you? I shouldn't be so so broad about that. There's plenty of places that the point is in most of these places we're having these conversations. This is what you're seeing. The same kind of thing. Oh, we're sorry. We conflated this or we we blended that. Japanese public broadcaster NHK apologized on Twitter on May 16th for editing a news program to make it look like some people had died of COVID-19 when in fact the comments used in the show were by people claiming that their family members had died after the injection. Excuse me, I think I said health group. We're talking about the, the platform, the broadcaster. But either way, the point is, it, in every example you can find, these people were willfully conflating, lying, hiding information. How else do you, know, how else do you infl- in, engage with that? They didn't just accidentally do that. There's a choice being made here. Well, here, don't forget, Meryl Nass points this out, and a lot of people are seeing this. Thank God. Oh, what's this about? I know I was following her. God, man, Twitter is frustrating. I'm going to do a big point on Twitter tomorrow. Yeah, that's still. Well, Merrill, I've been following you. I don't know why that's happening. In any case, here is what was admitted in June 2021 by CDC and FDA. After authorizing the vaccine for 12 to 15 year olds in May of 2021, while hiding this information. You saw this. We talked about this. And this this is actually pulled from a slide on that discussion. Preliminary myocarditis reports to VAERS following dose two. Look at the male number. The expected amount is zero to four. We I remember this exact argument. So taking zero as an example, because there's a spectrum there. So one of the possibilities would be 128 times the risk of myocarditis for men, for, 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 specifically 12 to 17 year old boys. And yet they then went on to authorize this exact thing in that exact group going forward. 
and then lied to everybody about the risk. It's just, it, this is this is very serious and very obvious. These people are so very aware there's a growing body of people that can see exactly what you're looking at. There's no excuse. They lied. They're willfully hiding this right now because I think they know something's shifting right now. They're very aware that this is, this is not the, one of those, people could end up in prison for this. And they hopefully will. So we need to keep pushing. This is a positive note right here. The Telegraph. This is actually from November 2022. But I think we I think we might have mentioned this. I feel like I didn't remember it the first time. But Pfizer's CEO was wrapped by regulators for making misleading statements. Now, the reason this is a mixed bag, it's kind of bittersweet, is because one, it shows you that the media and the process is is there's enough momentum behind what you're doing and the truth right now to get this to happen at all. When I argue this would never even happen in the first place before, but at the same time, it didn't change anything. So he got caught for lying about the exact conversation we're having right now. That these groups are, it's not safe for kids. It says he's been wrapped, whatever that means. They just, they, you know, slap on the wrist by the UK pharmaceutical watchdog for making misleading statements about children's vaccines. In the interview, he said that there is no doubt that the benefits completely are in favor. Of course, that's the point. Benefits outweigh the risks. Everybody all the time. Of course, that's what we're supposed to say. If he came out and said, no, it's not safe for kids, well, everything would blow up. He says, it's disturbing significantly the education system that there are kids that will have severe symptoms. The interview was published shortly after the article, article publication. A complaint was submitted to the watchdog saying he was misleading. The complaint alleged that the remarks about children's vaccines were disgracefully misleading and extremely promotional in nature. So understand he lost. So he was misleading disgracefully and being promotional. And yet nothing happened. There is simply no evidence that healthy school children in the UK are at risk, which we know, by the way, we literally just showed you that 0.0003% infection fatality rate for under 19, let alone going down to children. Five, six, seven, eight. In September 2021, they had advised against master law for children using this exact same information. It's not, remember the FDA people that resigned in protest? It's amazing that we can't, some people still can't see what this is. But less than a fortnight later, they just, they, they decided to give it to them anyway. The government did. The ministers gave the green light. It was not until February 2022 that the JCVI ruled that children 5 to 11 could be offered the vaccine. It, it, it's unbelievable. So the bottom line is, he knows he was wrong. He knows he was lying. They caught him. They said, you're lying. We know you're lying. The court ruled in that, and they said, it, it, a report that he misled people. That nothing happened. And here we are today. CDC, everybody age six plus should get one updated shot. So the one that's more dangerous, right? They're literally saying, come get the new injection, the new bivalent shot that the British Medical Journal has found is a net harm, a literal net harm. That to prevent one hospitalization, 42,000 plus kids, or rather under 29 year olds, have to get three mRNA shots 
in order to stop that one hospitalization, but in the same process, cause 18.5 serious adverse events. Hospitalization, death, serious disability. That is no, that is quite literally the opposite of benefits outweigh the risks. That is risks dramatically outweigh the benefits. Especially when you take into consideration that Pfizer's own phase three data shows you a 36% increased risk of everything compared to not even taking it. It's, it's just staggering to me that people can still push these arguments. And then Rich People Weekly, who just had a great post on our Substack, by the way, which is right here. Oh, and by the way, there's a great new post up from, uh, oh, shoot, I think I forgot to share that today. I got to share that out. Of course, because Twitter doesn't, doesn't allow you to share properly now anymore because it's just petty suppression. But in any case, he says, we never had large studies on subclinical myocarditis from the original shots. Now they want your babies and up to take an updated shot with even less public data? Yes. A troponin study is easy. FDA extended the submission date for that original, and they still, they're lying to you. I mean, just think of how nefarious this is. How do you pretend at a time when they are right now telling you that not much is happening? Then we just hear them say, no, hospitalizations are low. No one's really affected. But who knows? A new variant could come. That's where they are right now. But while that's happening, while you've got peer-reviewed science saying not worth it, hurting more people than it's helping, and then you also have peer-reviewed science saying less than the flu for those same people, they still come out and say, get one of those shots. Even though you're at .0003 risk of being of being killed by it, if it's even there, they extended the study for the original for myocarditis, and they're just pushing past it. I'm like, guys, this is criminal. It is literally criminal. And one last point to just really cement how dangerous this is. Walter Chestnut points this out. Holy mother of God, he says, from the WHO site itself. COVID-19 vaccination can induce multiple sclerosis via cross-reactive CD4 plus T cells, recognizing SARS-CoV-2 spike protein and myelin peptides. Something that I was uh, that I was just recently looking into that I wasn't familiar with. It's very interesting. An updated with it's, it's updated post from him from references. I'll show you the actual post here. Oh, it's right there. He says an urgent update to the global uh it's the demyelinization epidemic hypothesis. Sudden deaths, long COVID explained. Interesting, right? It's exactly what we've been talking about. The the sudden deaths, I argue, is a, is a multitude of factors, just in my opinion. But also the fact that long COVID is obviously vaccine side effects. It's very, very clear. That's my opinion to some degree. I think it's very clearly backed up by all the peer-reviewed science. But regardless, the WHO website itself shows that COVID vaccination can, in fact, induce multiple... Uh, um, Multiple sclerosis. Just, I was thinking uh, cyst, cystic fibrosis from earlier. Now, here's what he, he's what he writes in his post. And here, by the way, he's right. This is direct. This is the WHO website right here. COVID-19 vaccination can induce multiple sclerosis. We'll come back to it. I guess they just missed that, as I always say. And their extensive due diligence. Safe and effective, but we'll ignore all the science says, says otherwise. It says, this update, this is an update from his post earlier. He saw that long COVID and many of the sudden death occurring can be explained by demyelinization. As he's continued to research this, he discovered that indeed COVID vaccination can induce that, as the WHO says themselves. Or, to be more precise, it causes an autoimmune attack against myelin in your body. This, why this concerns him is that the spike is almost certainly very attracted to the brainstem. 
Now, he has a lot of study links you can look into, confirm what he's saying if you want to look further, which you should. But the interesting part about this, first of all, the what is demyelinization? De, no, it says many uh, nerves send and receive messages from every part of your body and process them in your brain. They allow you to speak, see, feel, think. Now, by the way, don't think about the, what we see these people spinning around and looking over their shoulder and falling over. Now, I've never been able to definitively confirm that that's even something that is directly connected to this, like whether people were injected that did it or not. But it's very hard to do that with the videos from all over the world and so on, especially with a lot of stuff we've proven were fake information or live video, manipulated videos from China and so on. But there, there do seem to be those happening. I keep seeing them pop up, something we should consider. So consider that in this conversation. This seems to be an interesting overlap. Some nervous, some nerve breakdown where you can't think, you know, where all those are clearly being affected by what we see. But it says many nerves are coated in myelin. Myelin is an insulating material. Let's see what it says here. Myelin is a mixture of proteins and uh, uh, phospholipids forming a whitish insulating sheen around many nerve fibers, increasing the speed at which impulses are conducted. It says myelin, uh, when it is worn away or damaged, nerves can deteriorate, causing problems in the brain and throughout the body. Damage to myelin around the nerves is called demyelinization. So here's the study itself. Infection with SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus can lead to a wide range of acute and also chronic disease manifestations. These rapid, the rapidly developed vaccinations are highly effective in preventing severe disease. Not true. And have been proven safe. Literally the opposite. I mean, this is what's so frustrating about even these studies. They find something that points out a problem. You're literally pointing out that these things are causing multiple sclerosis. And you go, but they're safe and effective. And they pulled it. They're super effective. No, they're not. It's the exact opposite. They're not. They're hurting people. They're hurting everybody. I have very clearly taken the stance for... I mean, longer than most, I would argue, <laughs> that this is not safe for anybody. There is no benefit at all for anybody taking any of these injections. Now, trust me, that was a hard-fought stance. I'm not someone that's going to be uh, subjective and, and you know hyperbolic about this stuff because it's not smart right now. But I, from what we are looking at, according to the peer-reviewed science, COVID is either not there or not dangerous. And every single factor that we're looking at is wildly concerning just just myocarditis alone is concerning but then you factor in all these other factors everything that you're seeing and all the science about all the byproducts and side effects and what it can do to your body the dysregulation of your immune system which in and of itself can cause explosions of cancers and everything else but then just the basic breakdown of net harm it's just staggering now just bottom line they're telling you that your injections if you're stupid enough to take these, can now induce multiple sclerosis. And it's specifically, as he points out, because of the, the, the myelin peptides or the myelin uh, overlap. And what he's arguing is that what this is doing, and this is the point about his first post, is he literally was getting into this about this overlap and then finds the study that literally goes, well, there you go. It can add definitely is. So he's hypothesizing about this connection and then finds the WHO study that proves that it very clearly does connect with your myelin peptides. He's an honest researcher and he cares, at least as it appears to me. I don't know him personally, but so here he is pointing this stuff out. And guess what? Where's Fox News? Where's CNN? Where's MSNBC? Where's 90% of the quasi independent media that's supposed to care about your health? You're only going to see stuff like this on the platforms that are 
getting attacked as conspiracy theorists right now. That's just how it works right now. But anyway, I'll finish today with a breakdown of all the lies and illusions and deception. This is a Matt Orfla video that he put out. Michael Seeger, Singer pointing this out or posting this. No one is safe until everybody is safe, right? All the mantras and pushes and all that. It's so clear how dishonest all of this was, how dangerous all of this is, and how dangerous the direction still is. Like, let's not miss the forest for the trees here. Now, I could be wrong, of course, but it's important not not to even just focus on the current injection conversation, right? Where this is still, like, not just still going, where this seems to be rapidly escalating behind all of this madness is in the same direction. The, the nanotechnology, drug delivery, payload, biosurveillance, nano, Lieberlanger overlap. That's what I've been calling it. It is everywhere. Now, I, I worry that if we focus too hard on one topic, that we'll wake up in that... Well, you know, we, we tend to say the technocratic panopticon, and I do think that that's the great reset discussion, but we'll wake up in a situation where we can't come back from this anymore. And I, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I'm genuinely concerned that that might have already taken place. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop or shouldn't fight. Now is the time. If there's ever been a time in our existence to stand up for what you believe in. Because they're afraid of you doing that. They are terrified that we are going to see across the illusion of the two-party paradigm and stand up and push back not violently but in a way that exposes this to the world now i'm not saying that cause it solves all of our problems hardly but what i do know for sure is that once we stand together when we stand their power drifts away it's all that matters Thank you for being here today, guys, and continuing to fight. I do want to make one last uh, shout out to uh, the upcoming concert, uh, Rebels for a Cause. Uh, we just announced on Pirate Stream on the, the last uh, Pirate Stream episode that the uh, some funding came through, and so it's definitely for sure the event is on. And so, uh, that, again, June thir- 2nd to 3rd. I think there's another day in there for the VIPs. I don't want to misquote it, but I'll, the link is in the show notes. You can enter in TLAV to get a, a, a discount or rather I think just get TLF or get a benefit from it. I don't think there's a discount for it, but either way, it's going to be a great event. There's a lot of people going to be showing up, a lot of musicians, a lot of speakers, a lot of performers. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be singing myself. In fact, I just, what I just said a second ago is a line from a new song that I haven't played publicly other than the Cobra where I opened for uh, five times August and um, Oh shoot. Great people. I'm blanking the name on all of a sudden. I'm going to make sure I include their information in the show notes. because I hate that. I so many names today. Faithless Town, Faithless Town, really great people, man. Faithless Town and, and Five Times August, good people. And I think one of them is going to be there. I forget. Either way, the point is, new song we played. I'm going to be talking as well. A lot of great stuff coming your way. Make sure you check it out. And if not, just share the information, get it out there. But make sure you support this platform, guys, because we are fighting for you always. Now, I was going to be doing something today. As all, as you can see, there's so much that got pushed off to tomorrow. I'm going to be planning a, I, I'm probably just going to announce it tomorrow morning, but a, a, a spaces, a Twitter spaces, I think it might be the best way to do that. And I'm going to have, I'm going to have a meeting. Like I'll jokingly probably call it a TLAF stakeholders meeting or something. It's for everybody. Anybody out there that's ever supported this platform, whether by sharing or donating, I want to join if you can. And I want to have a conversation about where we go with these next steps, because you have every right to be involved in this decision and the conversation, even though, as I've always said, it's going to be my decision but your opinions matter to me. 
and what you think we should be doing about, you know, it gets into the, the kind of core values of what we're talking about. Not entirely like one changing one thing for the other, but if we're talking about potentially reaching out for some, some funding to, to take this to the next level and what that would ultimately mean never over my dead body. Will that ever mean content or editorial? It'll always be up to me and I will never allow any funding or anything to influence what we what we say or do never. I would, I will shut this down before I do that. But taking some funding to be like, you know, brought to you by so-and-so. Somebody would, I, I would believe in. Also, I would never do that just for money. It would be something I could agree with morally and integrity. But is that what you want out there? Right? So if we, if we want to stay as we have been, entirely people-funded, there, there are limitations to that. And maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe that's the best step forward. But the reason this conversation is even being had, and I wasn't going to get into it all now, is we've seen a, a dramatic decrease in just general donations. I, I honestly think that's everywhere. I think people are struggling right now. So I need to decide what we're going to do. I need to decide whether I'm going to pull back, which would ultimately lessen, you know, everything to a degree, less articles from everybody, less content from me, but, you know, largely probably not noticeable to the average person, but to the point to where we pull back, tighten up and just stay focused on the mission, or we try to take a bigger step, which is what my gut's telling me to step into something bigger, find people that are willing to support this and grow this thing at a time right now when all of the corporate media is trying to chip away and steal and siphon off what we built over the last decade. So in any case, I'm going to be talking about that more tomorrow. I will be doing a show tomorrow as well. And uh, I want your thoughts on this. I want to see what you guys think is the right direction because it's important to me that we do this the right way. Because, you know, I, I'm not, I never ask anybody just to trust me, but I know, I know me and I know why I'm doing this. I'm doing this for the right reasons. And I, I, it's, I will never compromise that because that's all that's really matters to me is that we do that. We fight for these things in the right way. Anyway, I can talk about it more tomorrow. Bottom line is guys, we, we need to make changes because they, I worry that this won't exist if we stay this way into a situation where they can then box us out, whether or not you're donating. Right. There's so much going on in the world today. We need to insulate ourselves, join forces. And, you know, the, the whole thing we keep talking about. More is coming your way, guys. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Let's also be clear. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. Today, we have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. Yeah, I mean, everything is being digitalized. Everything is being monitored. In this time of crisis, you have to follow science. Decarbonization of the economy. Where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So, individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. I mean, my top recommendation, honestly, would be just to have a carbon tax. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste because a crisis is an opportunity to also do re good reforms that in normal times people will never agree to, but in a crisis, you see, we have no chance, so, 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 so let's do it. Surveillance, people could look back in 100 years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment 
when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin, which I think is maybe the most important development of the 21st century, is this ability to hack human beings, to go under the skin, collect biometric data, analyze it, and understand people better than they understand themselves. This, I believe, is maybe the most important event of the 21st century. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. Natural selection is replaced by intelligent design. The era of inorganic life is now beginning. In the coming decades, AI and biotechnology will give us godlike abilities to re-engineer life and even to create completely new life forms. We are about to enter a new era of inorganic life shaped by intelligent design. Our intelligent design. Nobody will be safe if not everybody is vaccinated. Are you vaccinated, if I yes. may ask? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm very, very pro-vaccination. Yeah. Right? Uh, the science is unequivocal. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example. It's you who exactly. are changed, yeah. and of yeah. course this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. Can you imagine that in 10 years when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains, and um, I can immediately feel, because you all will have implants, I can, and we measure your, your brain waves, and I can immediately tell you how the people react, or I can feel, uh, how the people react um, to your answers, uh, is it imaginable? Just think of sensors planted into our brains. Basically implanted in your skull, so... Uh, <laughs> but it would be flush with your skull. So you basically uh, take out a chunk of skull, replace, put the neural device in there, um, you would put the, the electrode, you'd insert the electrode threads, very carefully into the, the brain. To build basically an interface to the brain. Yeah. Electrode to neuron interface at a micro level. Okay, what is that? Like, I'm gonna have like a plug in my head that's gonna fit into a hard drive? Like, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah. A chip and a bunch of tiny wires. This, this would be implanted surgically. And it would do what? Could you input? Could you download Jim? Mm hmm. Yes. What, what, what? <laughs> the. Long-term aspiration for Neuralink was, would be to achieve a symbiosis with uh, artificial intelligence. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. One of the things that I think is so essential to free and open societies is freedom of thought. Um, and up until now, the conversation we've been having is around freedom of speech. Once we can access people's thoughts and access people's emotions, um, we have to create a space that enables people to think freely. What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. 
It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, the the uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us.